0: that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Look around. You can find cars like these on Autotrader.
2: From Pod World Headquarters, this is the Carolina Insider from Learfield IMG College.
3: We're back. Time for another edition of the Carolina Insider. Jones and Adam here with you.
4: Adam, have we, have we ever had a Wednesday pod before? It has to have happened at some point in the summer but there can't have ever been an April Wednesday pod.
3: So we're breaking new ground here on the Carolina Insider. Was a national championship pod on a Wednesday? That's all a blur, Adam. Probably.
4: I wasn't even coherent for most of that time.
3: <laughs> we uh well, I'm going to tell you something that's true, Adam. Okay. We've got a good show coming up today and Just know that we've been like busy little beavers behind the scenes, (laughs) and we are accruing some uh, pretty good shows here coming up in the next few weeks. Pretty good, if I say so myself, Adam.
4: We're going to be right there with you in the national consciousness.
3: Yeah, that's right. Before we get to today... Reminder, don't let your outside chores or projects cause you to miss any of the Tario game action. Let L.S. Tractor help make short work of them. From normal yard maintenance to larger projects as well, L.S. Tractor has the machine for you. LStractor.com, you can see the difference. L.S. Tractor, what's it about for you? So what do we have today? We're going to talk a little Jordan documentary. The Last Dance, first two episodes on Sunday. And it was awesome. We're going to talk about that. Now, we also need your help. Next week, we want to come with some Jordan documentary heat. So, we want to know if you have had, for whatever reason, any fun stories or encounters around with Michael Jordan. Were you maybe in school at the same time? Did you run into him at a bingo game? <laughs> Whatever it might be, we want to hear about it. Shoot us an email, Carolina at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at Carolina underscore pod. We've already gotten a bunch of cool stuff. We sent out a tweet about it and I've uh, gotten some good responses.
4: I've got one. I'm readying it for publication.
3: Yeah. You
4: have one. Yeah, you personally have, personally have I personally have one. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm going to email it in to the, the pod email address and maybe they'll read it on the show. So next week.
3: We're going to read a bunch of those, and we have a relevant guest as well. It's not Michael Jordan, but we have a relevant (laughs) guest as well, Um, so I think uh, that'll be a lot of fun. We'll we'll go heavy on the Jordan doc next week.
4: Awesome guests, great stories.
3: So get those stories, fun encounters, whatever, in, but we're going to talk about the first two episodes a little bit today, then had the chance to talk to Garrison Brooks, our favorite little gerb. Is quarantining, isolating down in Lafette, Alabama with his family. Talk to Garrison on the phone about his decision to uh, officially return for his senior year. About what he's doing down uh, in isolation with his family. And uh, any updates or suggestions he may have to help us fill the time during quarantine, Adam. And W- Garrison and I have a little bit of a special moment there. We realized we've been sharing a journey together.
4: <laughs> I could feel you virtually holding hands. Yeah.
3: So that's coming up in a little bit. And then, Adam, we have another Tariel throwback game watch rewind Carmichael Classic, even though it was in the Smith Center trademark. We're going back to 1998, Carolina Duke in the Smith Center. Blue Devils, number one in the nation. Tariel's number two. Each team only had one loss on the year leading up to that point. Heavyweight bout and a really fun game and fun memories.
4: And I know we say this all the time. What makes those so fun is all the, the clips from the game broadcast, both on Tariel Sports Network and on TV. And then also, we've been lucky enough to talk to some of these people by this point that you can sprinkle in some of their thoughts in there, and it's as though they're also commentating on the game, which I enjoy. So I like listening to these. So in addition to all the fun
3: going through the game, we also have some comments from Ed Coda, from Adamola Okalija and from Scott Williams, Coach Williams' son. Um, from when we had our conversations with those three guys on past podcast, and they all give some unique perspective, either on very specific moments in that game or about the season, about different aspects of that team. So I think you're going to have a lot of fun with that. We
4: did. 98 Carolina Duke, one verse two. Doesn't get any better, folks. America!
3: <laughs> yeah, that's just a little hint on who's on the color analyst. Oh, he took a terrible shot! These referees. That's a little hint on who the play by play guy it's is. It's a little warm in here. <laughs> but Adam, let's uh let's talk a little bit about the the last dance, the Jordan documentary. What a spectacular first two episodes. There was some Carolina stuff involved in there. Um But a couple things. One, it was just this felt like the first time since everything's gone down everybody who loves athletics was kind of watching the same thing at the same time. And you get those moments, uh, I think a fair amount from the Carolina perspective. It's a, if it's a Tar Heel game, obviously you and I aren't involved in that, but if it's the Super Bowl or a, a big NBA finals game or something, you have those moments where kind of everybody's watching the same thing and you get the fun interaction. And I think this was the first time that that really happened. Now, I have to fully admit, I thought the documentary was so good, I really wasn't second screening it very much. But then going back and and reading other people's responses and reactions, I think was fun. And I I just thought a really, really well done first two episodes. You and I are right in the time. I mean, we certainly the Bulls part of it, you and I live that and know all of that pretty well as far as what happened on the court You get all this incredible behind-the-scenes stuff. The Carolina stuff, you know, you and I are both a little young for that to remember Michael Jordan at Carolina, but know those stories and have talked to a lot of people. And so it was good to see those those aspects as well. And just a really well-done two hours.
4: I fully think this documentary brings Michael Jordan back into the lives of whatever that generation is that – wasn't quite sure how good he was. They're now they're going to realize over these next four weeks. Oh, there, there is no peer to Michael Jordan. They're going to hear other people say that about him. They're going to realize it by watching him and the highlights themselves. And in the long run, that's nothing but good for North Carolina basketball, because there's only one person who I know of who ESPN has seen fit to make a 10 part documentary about, And that person played basketball at the University of North Carolina, where one of his coaches was Roy Williams. So you don't get closer than that. And there is no disputing. I haven't heard anyone who watched the first two episodes and said, you know, I'm not sure Michael Jordan's that cool. Michael Jordan is the coolest. He's on a different scale of cool. And that helps your North Carolina basketball program to be so closely tied to the coolest and the best there ever was that that will open a door or two to a living room that might not have otherwise been open might not turn into anything but it'll open some that that weren't opened that's the carolina perspective from just a michael jordan fanboy. i love the bulls perspective it was awesome do you think it's i don't know enough about filmmaking to know is it awesome because it's about michael jordan and i'm predisposed to think anything about him is awesome Or is it really that well done?
3: I think it's a combination of the two because I do think the personalities drive it. But I think it's also worth remembering. I mean, how big the Bulls were in those eight years, including the two that, and more than that, but those, the three championships, then the two years off, then the three championships again. I mean, they were higher than just a really good basketball team. They, they were international stars. And, of course, Jordan was the star, but there were so many interesting personalities, Phil Jackson, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, you know, all these different guys who are around it that are also interesting. And so I think the incredible access that was given in that particular year uh, and the people involved, but then where I think the skillful storytelling has been the moving through time. And it all makes sense when you're watching it, how they've done it. I think if I just said, well, see, it's the story that really the centerpiece is in 1998, but then they take you back to 1982 and then they take you to 1995. And, then, and so I think that would be confusing just saying it,
4: but when you're watching it
3: happen, it all makes sense.
4: I think it's a it's cool the way the filmmakers show the people being interviewed the footage of other people who have talked about that same thing. That got some of the best reactions in the first two episodes. Uh, handing Michael Jordan an iPad that's got a clip of Phil Jackson saying something. Right. You, you don't often get the opportunity to do that because you don't get to go back to people like they clearly did, but that, I thought, helped a lot. And the overwhelming thing you need to take away if you didn't live through it. Like I heard somebody say, "So were the Bulls like the Warriors?" No. They they eclipsed every bit of the Warriors in like the first preseason game of that season in terms of worldwide interest. And then somebody said, "Well, are they the Yankees?" Well, the 1927 Yankees. Yeah. If the 1927 Yankees played today and we could talk to all of them. You, and, unless you live through it and there was nothing you know how today if you jump on the bandwagon with whoever is good at the moment people are kind of like, "Oh, you're just a front runner." Everybody was a Bulls fan. Everyone yeah. liked the Bulls and there was nothing wrong with it. Yeah. It was just accepted that because it wasn't even like a sports thing, it was just like a a life choice that everyone made at the same time. And a culture thing. Yeah, we we all appreciate the Bulls and think that they are the best. And there's nothing wrong with even if you're not from Chicago or you don't know anything about basketball, you can still wear your Chicago Bulls jersey or Chicago Bulls sweatshirt and we all get it and understand why you're doing that and appreciate your choice. That's the right pick that you made.
3: Yeah. You were either a fan of, you know, like if you like the Knicks or the maybe the Cavaliers or somebody who was really close to the Pistons, then you didn't. But everybody else did. And that was... That was just something everybody agreed to.
4: But even if you didn't like them, you didn't necessarily hate them, I don't think. It was just more frustrating that they were there. Because some of those other teams, as we'll find out in future episodes, were good. Yeah. But but they weren't anything like this. And, I mean, that the 91 Lakers team, that's a great team. But not this great. And so it, it, you couldn't even work up a hatred for them, or at least I certainly never could, because they were so good and so transcendent of beyond sports into just the whole world and i would watch 50 episodes of this documentary
3: carolina insider brought to you by unc Healthcare, dedicated to caring for champions of all kinds keep you in the game and at your very best see their lineup at slash sports adam i thought it was interesting Roy Williams was trending nationally on Twitter on Sunday night during and immediately following the documentary. And I think you and I are probably desensitized to it, as maybe a lot of Carolina fans are, because we hear Coach Williams talk all the time. And we hear him talk about these things, and we hear him talk about Michael Jordan every now and then. But for people who don't, I think, and Coach Williams, I think, had, three clips, maybe in the two hours, maybe four or five at most. But he came across as Roy Williams, as just honest, down-to-earth, folksy. And that's
4: Roy Williams, and he came across that way, and, and people loved it. I was surprised at how much attention he got. in In the moment of watching it, nothing he said struck me as hugely – amazing because we've heard him say those things before in the exact fashion that he said them but i think we forget that national sports world doesn't hear from him all the time they don't listen to the radio show every monday he said better things than what he said on that documentary at top of the hill 10 times this year but not it's just not the same stage and so i was surprised whoa 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 well come on Adam you don't (laughs) think we got six million people tuning into Roy Williams live I wasn't counting Facebook
3: okay thank you
4: um so it's I don't know it's it it surprised me I I didn't think Sunday night that I would go on Twitter and there would be Roy Williams trending and I I actually first thought "Uh uh-oh what's going on and then I realized oh it's just people who think Coach Williams is awesome well we already all knew that but it's nice that that they could all come along on the journey as well
3: he did really nail the uh the freaking line though.
4: Yeah. But we've heard him say those exact words. Yeah. I I know for a fact he said that at practice at least twice this year. He said that exact thing, maybe even with a little more of a teeth grit. And any player who played for him has heard that exact thing. I'm
3: trying to find it. There was a fun uh exchange on Twitter between a couple of former Tariel players. I think it was Quentin Thomas who said that he had, he had something about Ty Lawson turning it on and off, and because Coach Williams, of got a lot of response from the line of Michael Jordan the only player who could turn it on and off, and he never freaking turned it off. But I know I've really set the table well for you to go find this, but <laughs> go check it out because it was funny.
4: If you go on Twitter and go to a former Tar Heels account, <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a hilarious story yeah. about Roy Williams. That's all you got to do. Go find it now. I also liked the the shots of Michael Jordan riding his bicycle on campus. If that didn't... Was that from Michael Jordan Come Fly With Me? I swear I I've so, seen yeah. some of
3: that footage before.
4: I think it was. Even the one where he was
3: injured and on the bench and gave the kid behind him the high five. after. Yeah. I, I think Michael Jordan Come Fly With
4: Me, which is always set the standard, Adam, yes. was back again. I, I definitely think... I, I wish I had a DVD of Come Fly With Me. I've got the VHS. I just don't have a way to watch it. Um, I definitely think there were parts of that in this. But those shots of him riding the bike on campus, if that didn't sign, seal, and deliver a thousand new applications to the University of North Carolina for the next application cycle, I don't know what else you can do. I really enjoyed the one where he was just randomly wearing his full USA warm-up outfit yeah. as he rode his bicycle. Yeah, He had the top and the pants on. Like, Was he on the way to USA basketball practice? Maybe in Chapel Hill. And then I liked it when I think it was he and Buzz Peterson were riding past the old well with their polo shirts tucked into their shorts, just out for a a casual bike ride.
3: Adam, another thing that got a lot of play from the Carolina perspective was coach Smith telling Michael Jordan to go pro after his junior year. Not, I mean, suggesting that he would go because as Jordan said, he was planning on returning for a senior season And essentially, Coach Smith said, I really think you should go. And I'll say the same thing we said about Coach Williams. Yes, it's an amazing story, and I understand why people are so taken aback by it because it's Michael Jordan, but that's a story I think Carolina fans knew and appreciated and a nice example of of Coach Smith. But I don't think it – I mean, that wasn't, like, stunning news to me.
4: It didn't even really register with me. Because not only have you heard that with Michael Jordan, you heard that same thing with James Worthy. I think Bob McAdoo sat in here and told us that same exact thing. Yeah, And that happened with a half dozen or more Tar Heels. And that's where the whole thing came from about Coach Smith said during the season, you do what's best for the team. And in the off season, you do what's best for the individual. That's what was best for the individual. And that's what he always advised him to do. And I honestly was surprised when I reached the age that I realized that it wasn't like that everywhere. I thought that was just what everybody did. But it clearly wasn't then and it even clearly isn't now because you got people like JJ Watt who are tweeting about how amazing that principle is and to us it's just kind of oh that's that's what you're supposed to do. So
3: really encourage you to watch it. Even though my guess is there's not going to be a ton of Carolina stuff in the remaining episodes. There may be some, um, but there may not be a ton just because the progression of the the documentary is likely going to be more towards the professional side. Um, But I would watch it if I were you.
4: I don't think I realized Rick Carlisle not only had had a rough time in Carmichael Auditorium during the the game rewatch that we did but also uh, got abused by Michael Jordan with the Celtics. I'm going to tell you something. That move that Jordan put on Carlisle, I, I actually,
3: re- my son and I, re- I rewound it and we watched it again because I was like, dude, look how nasty this move is. And it was.
4: What did your son think of seeing game Michael Jordan probably in an extended amount for the first time?
3: I think he was impressed. Now, he's still eight, so he's not going to give me, like, a breakdown of the game. I, I that's not true. He's given me breakdowns <laughs> of games before. But I think what was impressive to me as I watched it was the reminder that, we talked about this some when we did the 82 rewatch and even the 93 rewatch, how little the three-pointer was part of the game. It was, it was part of it, but it was not what it is now. And Jordan was doing all this stuff w- in a very small area of the court a lot of times in the half court that was crowded. And what I remembered the most watching this, that not that I had forgotten, but it just how long he hung in the air. So he would jump to shoot a jump shot and somebody would be up and trying to defend it. And then that dude would be on the ground and Jordan would still be there and he'd be able to shoot it. It was his ability to
4: to hang out, to hang in the air. Amazing. Amazing. Just the whole thing. Amazing. The shots in when they went to Paris and remembering what a big worldwide thing they were and the fact that he could decide to wear a beret and I thought it looked cool. How about the
3: sound guy risking it all for, <laughs> for the, the autograph and got denied? Yeah. That's and, a pretty tough denial.
4: And then the sound guy was clearly miffed. Like he got that whole French, like, oh, come on like look on his face but he did not get his autograph
3: no he did not so all in all unless you're a member of jerry krause's family i think it is uh well worth the watch
4: that's the other thing that could never happen like that today i, I would think that's what kids would be most amazed by that there was this fight between management and players and management won. yeah Today, Jerry Krause would have been fired before they won one championship. It, it, look, you think you're bigger than the players? All right, you're gone. Yeah, you're done. Michael doesn't like you. Scotty doesn't like you. Phil Jackson doesn't like you. But he wouldn't have been as important today either. You're you're done. But in those days, it, like he was the GM, and he was going to be the GM past the day that all those players and coaches were gone. And that's just the way it was. That is not the way it is today. That sounds like it's from outer space.
3: (laughs) Uh, I can't wait for the next two episodes coming on Sunday. And a reminder, get those Jordan stories in. If you have a fun encounter, a memory of Michael Jordan, watching him, running into him, if you've had an interaction, we're going to go through a bunch of those uh, on the show next week. And we have a Jordan-era relevant guest as well. It's going to be good. So that'll be fun. We have a lot of fun to do here on the remaining. We still got a lot, a lot to do here on the pod. Let's get to our interview with Garrison Brooks, presented by the Atma Hotel Group, new owners of the Sheridan Chapel Hill and Courtyard by Marriott Chapel Hill. Talked to Garrison a couple days ago via telephone down uh, with his family in Alabama. We'll talk to Garrison, come back, and then get you set for our 98 game rewatch here on the Carolina Insider. (laughs)
4: Garrison Brooks, frequent podcast, often in studio, but today on the phone because that's the world we're living in. Uh, but Garrison, thanks so much for, for joining us and tell us where you are and, and what you're doing right now.
1: Appreciate you having me. Uh, right now i just just uh, finishing breakfast with my family. I'm in Alabama, enjoying them. Um, not too much going on, of course, and just pretty much working out as much as I can on my own and staying at home being safe.
4: How do you replicate what Jonas would probably have you doing here in Chapel Hill when you have to do it on your own, both equipment-wise and just motivation-wise? How do you do that?
1: It's tough because uh, you don't really, you don't really have anyone to get there, get you there, critique your technique, and get you to do everything the proper way. So it's, I think it's tough. But uh, I try to replicate as much as I can what Jonas want want. How hard he wanted me, how hard he wanted me to work, and just do it on my own.
3: Garrison, how are you keeping in contact with the basketball team? Are you talking to the yeah. coaches? Are you talking to Jonas and Doug? Who are you talking to most frequently to kind of keep up to date on on what's going on?
1: I talk to I talked to all the guys pretty much. I talk to everybody at least once a week. Uh, I talk to our coaching staff at least once a week. I pretty much try to touch base with everybody on our staff and that's around our program.
4: How's Coach Williams doing with Zoom?
1: He's getting better, getting better every day. Um, every time we have a meeting, he seems more comfortable with what he's doing, and pretty much knows what's going on now. So he's he's good.
3: Now, have you seen him with the beard yet, Coach Williams? Yeah, I
1: talked to him. I talked to him last night with the beard. He said it's gonna, uh, sadly it's gonna come to an end.
3: <laughs> what you did it freak you out the first time I saw it? It totally freaked me out.
1: No, nah, uh, see, last summer he had a beard. I think it was last summer. It's been a. It might have been the last summer. He was growing out a beard, and like uh, I'm not sure if he did he do any. I don't remember if he did anything too crazy. <laughs> like he yeah, he literally had one growing out. He got a little thin. It wasn't as thick as the one he has now, but he was growing it out, and it was just I don't know. Pretty shocking that he did it.
4: Summertime's an important time when when you're a, a rising senior and you're organizing all the pickup games and you're leading the, the new guys who come and enroll the the second semester of summer session, you're not being able to do any of that stuff. How are you handling kind of the, the leadership aspect of this being the, the summer before your senior year?
1: It's tough because, I mean, you never really know what you're about to do. You never – I mean, it's it's something new because we, we haven't been here before. I mean, it's kind of tough to kind of get everybody on the same page, especially when we're in different places doing different things on different times, so trying to do that trying to keep everybody at the same mindset uh still got to work and just do things that we're supposed to be doing the coaches tell us to do and a little bit more
3: so garrison you announced i guess it was maybe two weeks ago week and a half ago officially that you would be coming back for your senior year for carolina did did how seriously did you consider putting your name in the nba draft count what was that process like or did you feel like you were definitely going to be returning the entire time
1: I felt like I was going to return the entire time. I think the hardest part was doing that uh, for the regards of coming back, like going to get feedback was probably the biggest thing I wanted to do. But, I mean, I figured a lot of that stuff is really not going to happen. But um, just deciding to come out to school and knowing what you need to work on to, to be a better player and become an NBA basketball player is pretty much what I've already known my this past couple of weeks what I need to do and get better at. So it's I mean it's fine. I not need to go tell anyone, let anyone tell me what I need to do. So
4: who have you asked about feedback? Like have you talked to Coach Williams about uh, did you get to have the meeting with him that you usually have at the end of the season? I yeah. guess probably oh you did. What what did he tell you he'd like for you to work on?
1: Uh outside shooting, guarding players on the perimeter and uh handling the ball. That's pretty I think that's pretty much what he what we went over.
4: What were those those last couple days of the season in Greensboro, from mm-hmm. a player's perspective? What were those couple days like? That was such an odd time.
1: Yeah, it was strange. Uh, it's tough because I mean, you never really. You, it's it's tough to think about because I mean, of course, it was our last game, but also you got to think about like all the stuff that happened like so fast. Like, I never thought it would be uh be like that, especially. Especially that time of the year, like oh, you think everybody would be so excited to keep playing, and the this happens, this happens, and you never really know what's going, what's going to come from it. But the bad part was, we started to realize like nothing, nothing's going to happen from now on. Like the NBA season got canceled, and then next thing you know, like every tournament started canceling. So it was, it was just it, it hit everybody fast, and we were like pretty much worried about what the world could come to.
3: Garrison, I know you've had. Just like everybody, a lot of time to think here over the last couple of weeks. Have you reflected back on this past season and what you think didn't go right for, for Carolina? Have you given that thought yet, or has that not happened yet? And if you have given it thought, what what, what came to your mind?
1: Oh, um, just not finishing. I think that's the biggest thing that, that stuck out to me, like us just not finishing games, finishing plays that we needed to. I think that was our biggest problem. We never did. Never did make the right plays at the right time. I think that was our biggest issue. From looking at our season, of course, it's unfortunate with injuries, and then I don't think we shot the ball well enough to be a really good team. Anyway,
4: why do you think you didn't make the right plays at the right time? What was missing?
1: Uh, a lot of new guys. Um, I think our old, like, I think our new guys, and trying to like hurry them up and catch them up, and with our experience that we had, wasn't I don't think it was enough. Uh, it wasn't enough for this year. But fortunately, now, like looking at it, looking back at it now, we have three guys that played a bunch for us. We got Leaky, Amando, and then we have me that's played a bunch for us, and I think that'll be really good uh, having experience. And then we have five new guys, and uh, hopefully those guys are really talented, stay healthy, and they they can really catch up fast, which I think they will, and I think it'll work out good for us in in this upcoming year.
4: Who's the best senior leader you've been around? Who you want to maybe? pattern yourself after in terms of leadership this coming year?
1: Oof. Uh, if I had to lift one guy above them all, I would say if I had to pattern mine after somebody, it would be K. Will. K. Will was the guy that, that gave his all every day and played led by example. I think that was the biggest thing. Like If I could somehow do that for our guys, I think that will really – Show them this is how things should be done and they'll follow suit. All
3: right, two important questions. One, what is it like taking class solely online? What's that experience been like?
1: My goodness, it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible.
3: I have to imagine that's hard.
1: Yeah, it's terrible because I mean you never feel like you Of course I don't I don't pay for school, of course. I mean I I'm not really I don't I don't worry too much about it, but the thing is like this is not what people pay for. I mean, I feel like people people really work like they paid a bunch of money and they expect to get the in, in class experience, expecting to learn. And like most of the stuff is given over a computer, so they feel like they probably could have done this online now. So they feel like they some people might feel like they wasted time in the classroom, but also some classes can't be taught online. Like you try to learn a language online.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'm still struggling with English. Yeah.
1: See. Yeah. Right. I can't I can't imagine how hard it is trying to learn Portuguese over online and then <laughs> speak it back into your iPad or your laptop like stuff. All
3: right, number 2. Is your mom sick of you being at the house yet or is everybody still happily getting along?
1: No, nah, we 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 are not been happily getting along. Well, <laughs> well uh, hold on. My mom is happy. My mom is happy. I, I'm sure she she's happy to see all of us. Happy to we're safe and we're doing fine. Doing schoolwork. We're good. Now, us brothers, on the other hand, we we're, we're about to be sick of each other. It is I can tell because it's it's starting to really show. This between the middle child and the youngest, like it's really showing because like they really they really start getting on each other's skin because they're exactly alike. And the thing is, they're starting to realize it now. So, they've been into it every day for the past week and a half.
4: What's your role in those altercations?
1: You know, I just sit back and laugh. You know, <laughs> I don't like get involved in that in that crossfire. So, you know, why, why would I want to step in on this? Get into get into all this? I'll, I'll let you two guys ask it out.
4: Now we know that you are a big movie guy. This has been a time when people have been streaming a bunch of stuff, watching a bunch of stuff. What's something you can recommend to the Tarion fans out there that they need to watch if they haven't already, that maybe you've seen during your, your quarantine?
1: Oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, what was it called? Bad Boys for Life just came out. Mm. That was a really good movie.
4: Did you uh, you see the original Bad Boys? Yeah. Okay.
1: Saw so all three. They're really good. The, the This last one came out really good. Um you could always binge watch the office. I just literally watch every office episode ever created.
3: Dude, so Garrison, it's funny you say that. I have just started season four. I've been binge watching, man. I'm through season one, two, three. I'm right at the beginning of four. Yep. <laughs> I feel, yep. like, I feel like, Garrison, maybe we were watching at the same time, Garrison. We didn't even know it. <laughs> I'm holding hands across the internet as you guys watch. Uh, the
4: across the country, Garrison and I were watching together. Hey, Garrison, have you watched All-American?
1: Yeah, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. Not, see, I'm not a fan.
4: My kids are trying to get me to watch that right now, and I've watched a couple episodes. I, I think it's all right. What, why are you not a fan?
1: Yeah, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of season two. I thought season one was good, but like, I just I don't really like season two as much.
4: Okay, so I should stick it out through season one is what you're saying.
1: Yeah, yeah. Go ahead and stick it out.
4: Did you watch Tiger
1: King? For sure. What do you think? Carol Baskin did it.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt. There's no doubt.
1: Yeah, man. Joe Joey Zotti is a character. Oh, my goodness.
4: Were you surprised at how many bad – people there aren't like everybody in that show is bad right
1: there's no there's no good guy The thing is like they're all the same Right They're literally all like all those characters from uh Dr the doctor uh the doctor of south carolina Carol nope. Bastion, Joe Exotic. They're literally all is they seem like they're literally all the same people
4: Which would make you think they would get along
1: Yeah but they're in competition so it it makes sense Yeah
3: it's like Garrison; he's got to dominate in the paint, and they got to dominate in the cat world.
4: It's like Garrison yeah. and John Mooney. <laughs> That's right. They're competing. Right. They respect each other, kind of. But when that ball comes off the rim, they're going to get it.
3: <laughs> Garrison, uh, and by the way, thank you for doing this. Most importantly, everybody safe? Are you? Is your family good? Is everybody safe and healthy? And and everybody's okay?
1: Yeah, everybody's safe. Everybody healthy. Just uh, just hanging out now.
3: Other than any injuries that may occur from, like, board games or some backyard basketball games or something like that. We understand.
1: You know, what's crazy is me and Trent are the only people that go outside and play basketball. (laughs) You got to get everybody on it. Nah. uh, Nah. Because, I mean, our games are always short. We play horse. I let them make a shot. I miss it on purpose. (laughs) They think he's going to win. and. Come back and destroy his heart, and he'll run inside side crime. And <laughs> never, it never works. It never works. I mean, it's, it only lasts so long.
3: Did you watch either the horse tournament or the 2K tournament that they I were watched.
1: In? I literally watched a little bit of the 2K tournament. My mom told me to turn it
3: turned off. Oh, <laughs> dude, that was appointment viewing in my house. We watched all of it.
4: Nah, I was nah. surprised at how few – I watched the horse thing, and I was surprised at how little thought they seem to have put into their shots. Like you're Chris Paul. You spend your entire life playing basketball. You gotta have ten go to horse shots.
1: That's true. Well, I also think like I just think like they were, I see it seems like they were really uninterested.
4: Because I, I mean I
1: saw like the highlights from it. I saw what Paul Pierce did and it was like he's just doing it to do it.
4: Well you know the thing about Paul Pierce is he's old like me. And, when you like, I used to be able to dunk like Paul Pierce, and now I can't anymore, and neither can he.
1: Right. That, that makes sense. You know, that, that makes sense.
3: <laughs> Garrison, man, appreciate your time. Uh, continue to stay se- uh, safe, healthy, everybody, your whole family. Tell your mom we said hi. I know she's a podcast listener. Hope you're doing great. And, man, look forward to, to you and everybody else getting back up here to Chapel Hill.
1: Yes, sir. I'll see you all soon. <laughs>
3: Adam, always good to talk to little Jerb. I miss having little gerb around. I know.
4: He'll be back soon enough. The pod listenership in Alabama has probably gone up exponentially this yep. month. Always enjoy
3: talking to Garrison. Appreciate him giving us some time. Looking forward to him and everybody else getting back safely here to Chapel Hill, hopefully soon. Hey, I don't need to remind you, Adam, it's a great day to be a Tariel. And the UNC General Alumni Association celebrates that feeling every day, serving Carolina's more than 336,000 living alumni, 66,000 GAA members. You are a student for a few years, yes. But just like Michael Jordan, you're an alumni forever. Learn more at alumni.unc.edu.
4: Were you surprised they didn't mention wearing the Carolina shorts under his uniform? He had them on in one of the locker room shots.
3: Yeah. Yes, I am a little. Maybe
4: that's coming later sometime.
3: Yeah. Adam, do you have anything else we need to discuss before getting to the 98 game rewatch? We can say this. Tariel football remains on fire on the recruiting trail. Carolina basketball picked up a recruit. We, of course, can't talk about any of these recruits, but good to see.
4: If I was going to talk about them, I'd say fire emoji.
3: Yeah. If I was going to discuss these additions, I would say they are positives for Carolina football and basketball, respectively. <laughs> if I was to say anything.
4: The only thing I have is a what up. A up, there,
5: what's
4: up? <laughs> to friend of the pod, Rob Wooten. Retired from professional baseball in the last couple weeks or so. Uh, What a great story. Uh, Came to Carolina, battled through a ton of adversity, made it to the major leagues, almost 15 years in professional baseball. Just a a great career and and looking forward to what he's doing next. And most importantly, a giant diehard Tar Heel fan of basically everything the Tar Heels play. Uh, So congratulations to him on a great career. Also, Adam, we, we need to mention, of course,
3: Cole Anthony officially announcing that he was uh, putting his name in the NBA draft. As we have talked about, I don't think that is a surprise to anyone. It should not have come as a surprise to anyone. And, you know, I think when people look back at Cole Anthony's Tariel career, it's going to be one that, unfortunately, the injury is just going to be one of the first things you think about. Clearly, Cole is a terrific player. He had some terrific moments. Um, but his injury, and I'm not saying this in somebody to like blame Cole it just did happen. Um, it slowed his season, it slowed the Tariel season, and unfortunately it was one of, if not the biggest story of the Tario year this past year.
4: Well, I think not through any fault of his own, but his his one year at Carolina is always going to be associated with everything that happened after it. And so the, the Cole Anthony year is going to be, oh, that was the, the virus year. That What a weird year that was. Well, it was a weird year, both sports-wise, world-wise, and Cole Anthony-wise, because he didn't get to do everything he wanted to do, but hopefully on his way to doing great stuff in the NBA.
3: Cole Anthony will be successful at, at the next level. I think so. Yeah. Um. Okay, speaking of guys who were successful both at the college and the pro level, this 1998 carolina duke game has quite
4: a few great game great players this is one you need to you need to have in your memory banks easily recalled and hopefully this will help
3: all right let's go back to 1998
6: carolina duke in the smith center Heart, the sound of Tar
3: February 5th, 1998, Duke, number one in the country, Carolina, number two, first meeting of three this season, comes in the Smith Center, Adam, I was in school at Carolina, I remember I could not get a ticket for this game, watched it in a buddy's dorm room and then Adam, let's just say things get a little hazier after that because i was so excited from all the studying yes from a late night of grinding in the textbooks
4: <laughs> it it's amazing this game didn't happen exactly as i thought thought it did which we can discuss throughout the course of the game if you had called me you could have gone with us to the game yeah did you go to the game i went to the game Ah. i'm trying to remember if i stormed the court at the end i think i did but i couldn't promise it it's a little i'm not sure uh but i was definitely there and uh a lot of a lot of competing storylines in this game all right
3: as we like to do, let's set the the scene of the era. Adam, February 5th, 1998, number one movie in the land. Adam, do you know? In February of 1998? Now, I have to say, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure that this was the number one movie at the time. And then I've got the top five, but I think it may have been the top five for the year. But this was definitely number one. At this time.
4: Saving Private Ryan.
3: Ooh, you're close. Uh. Adam, Jack, and Rose weren't of the same class, but they found love. We're still in Titanic land? Titanic. Number one. Now, I think you can fact-check me if you want. Number two, I think this is for the whole year, not just for this week. Armageddon? Ooh.
4: Number two. Don't want to miss don't wanna I
6: don't wanna thing.
3: Saving Private Ryan, number three. Number four. There's Something About Mary. Huh. Is that a hair gel? Wow, quite a diverse list yeah.
4: here of movies.
3: I remember I went to see There's Something About Mary with a good buddy of mine, like from high school. I guess we had been, I guess we were back for the summer, and he laughed so hard at one point he fell into the aisle of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> a perfectly sanitary yeah. place to be. Yeah. And number five in 98, The Water Boy. Starring Adam Sandler. You can do it! That's that's quite a list. A little something for everybody. I have seen four I have not seen Armageddon. I've seen the other four. I've seen all five of this. Top five TV shows of nineteen ninety-eight. You'll get Adam four of these five, I feel confident.
4: Is this is this the last year of Seinfeld? Seinfeld number one. I think that's the last
3: Yeah. One. Oh, yeah. I think uh, yeah. the next year somebody else takes over. Now, actually, you may only get three of these. Friends. Friends checks in at number four on the top five this year. I think Friends was also, I if I had to guess,
4: Friends peak was probably like 96. Yeah. Uh, 60 Minutes is always a good guess. Not top five. Okay. Okay, so we're in the Friends. <laughs> People are done wanting the news, yeah, Adam. Yeah, <laughs> we're done with that. We're in the Friends Seinfeld era, which means we're must-see TV for NBC. Oh. So uh, the uh, yep. Kelsey Grammer is oh. the doctor. You're thinking Frazier, but yes. not top five. Frazier, not top five. What else was in that block of shows? Number two, our favorite hospital
3: drama. Oh, ER. ER. That's peak ER, right? Got to be. Yeah. Number three. Did you watch ER? Yes, for a while. I didn't. I I didn't, though. I did at the beginning for the first several years. Right. Number three, this is the one you would not get, but I think it was on that Thursday must-see TV, so I'm guessing that it is getting a boost. Veronica's Closet.
4: In that, done that star, Kirstie Alley. That's what I was going to guess, but I can confidently say I've never, never seen no, a second of getting Veronica's closet. And then number, and was number three?
3: Number three for 1998.
4: Well, it is a big debt of gratitude to Mr. Jerry Simon.
3: Yeah. And Adam, number five. I was a little surprised on this. Monday Night Football checks in at number five for
4: 1998. Hmm. That's when. It, well, and that's close to peak Monday Night Football when it was a really big deal. Ooh, I think this
3: is Monday Night... I think Monday Night Football's already hit its peak, then it dipped, and now it's trying to make its way back up, I think.
4: Okay. You talk, you're talking about at this time? Yes. Not right now. Right now, it's right. past its peak. Yeah. Right. Well past.
3: Yeah. Now, I think Sunday Night Football's the big far bigger. primetime game now, yes. not Monday.
4: Far, when, yes. Yes. Your, your third-rate game's on Monday Night right. Football.
3: Okay. Number one song this week. Adam, I've got to tell you, I I do not know this song. Together Again by Janet Jackson. Top five for the year. That's ni- a good song. 1990- <laughs> Adam's like, I've, uh, I've had some tender moments to that song. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to that on the way over here. <laughs> It's in my heart all the time. Top five songs for 1995, or excuse me, for 1998. Number one, Adam. Too close Whoa. by next. Yeah. Wow, Adam, you are so up to date on your '90s slow R&B. Well,
4: are we calling that one slow? I mean, it kind of was. I don't know that
3: song. It, I'm just yeah, guessing it is.
4: You you would know it if you heard it. We'll sing it. Oh, come on. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's a little bit of a double meaning in the chorus. That might not be appropriate for the podcast. I try to keep it clean on here, Jones. I understand.
3: Number two for this is for the whole year, not just for the week.
4: Girl, you're dancing too
3: close. Thank you. Brandy and Monica. Oh, the boy is mine. With the boy is
4: mine.
1: Boy is
4: mine. Tied, this oh, Brandy and Monica. That was peak Brandy and Monica. <laughs>
3: Number three for the year, Shania Twain with? Oh, boy. Uh...
4: Any man of mine, you're still the one. You're
5: still the one I want. The one that I belong to. You're still the one I want.
3: For life.
4: Uh, I was not a Shania Point fan.
3: Checking in at number. She's Canadian. Checking <laughs> in at number four. <laughs> Savage Garden. Oh!
4: Uh. Uh. Truly, <laughs> madly. <laughs> Deeply, Deeply, yes.
3: We're on the like fifty thousand dollar pyramid, <laughs> and Adam number five,
4: a country sweetheart at the time, Leanne rhymes uh, with oh the one that she and Trisha Yearwood both did. But Leanne Rhimes' version got way more play. Yeah. How do I live? How do I live? How do I live without you? I
0: want you to
4: know. So, even though Armageddon was on the movie list, don't want to miss a thing, not on the song not list? Top five for the year, which I'm surprised uh, by. Me too. Because that song was on all the time. Unless it, like, maybe the song came out. Like end of 97 or something, and so its power was yeah. spread out
3: over two years. Could have been. That's a good song. Adam, you ready to get to this? Sure. Yet again, our friends Mike Patrick and Dick Vital will be our hosts and guides through Carolina Duke 1998. Adam, the very first thing I wrote, did Freddie Kiger write this open? Friend of the pod, Freddie Kiger. I wrote had a very heavy Freddie feel.
4: I wrote this is Freddie Kiger.
2: <laughs> it was it just it felt like Freddie. Chapel Hill, North Carolina. This is where a fan's heart beats in time with the bounce of a basketball. Where shooting stars don't appear outside, they're here in a swirl of royal and powder blue. This the 199th battle of the blues. Two giants in the world of college basketball sharing six national titles, 13 national players of the year, 23 ACC titles, and a legacy for miraculous and magical moments.
4: I don't think that Mike Patrick has secretly been keeping all those sweet words inside of himself and only let them out on ESPN2 in 1998, and other than that hasn't done anything. That, my friends, was Freddie Kiger. They did this so... The version that Adam and I watched, we got to see a good 10 minutes
3: of, like, pregame almost. Yeah. And they did this weird thing. Now, it was on ESPN2. So, this is still when the deuce was experimenting. Uh, experimental.
4: You could tell because they
3: used a lot of lowercase letters. Yeah.
4: All the ESPN was in lowercase
3: yeah. with the giant 2.
4: That's how you know things are really far out
3: there. Yeah. It's not Carolina Duke 95. Right. Cape half court, sends to overtime, stackhouse, awesome dunk, Tariels win game, ESPN2. It's not quite that alternative, but it's still pretty – still they're, – they're very clearly trying – in fact, at some point I wrote, they are very clearly trying multiple camera angles just to be, like, wild and different. Right. Um, so they did this weird thing where they had all this gear, like basketballs and jersey, and then there'd be a TV – and they'd have, like, like, they were talking, for example, about Vince Carter, and so you'd go, you'd take a journey through all this gear with the camera, and you'd see the TV, and then Mike Patrick would be like,
2: So many great ones before. Add another forceful, explosive, dynamic, and up against his greatest challenge.
3: Which apparently is Rashawn McLeod, <laughs> as he, like, walks up and does... An arms crossed serious face yeah. by the TV.
4: Which that was his thing. Remember, Rashawn McLeod's oh, yeah. thing was oh, like, the, Mean uh, like Muggins. Mean Muggins. Muggin'. Yeah. I wrote, This is how people started thinking ESPN favors Duke. Oh, yeah. Uh, you have Antoine Jameson and Vince Carter and Ed Coda. They didn't do anything with that. All the shots were with Duke guys. That's what I'm saying. Like, do we think we need a, a shot of Rashawn McCloud balancing on the televisions more so than National Player of the Year, Antoine Jameson. And I first thought, well, maybe the Tar Heels didn't allow any access, but later in the game you get a sit-down with Vince Carter. Yeah. So you know you had the opportunity. Yep. At one point, uh, Adam, I had to
3: supra- uh, suppress my gag reflex when Mike Patrick said,
2: Coach K, who symbolizes defensive intensity, the heart of proud Duke where passion reflects 16 hearts that beat as one.
3: Like, do you think Mike Krzyzewski wrote that down and handed it to Mike? That's the most Duke thing I've ever heard.
4: I think it also had something about the fist, and Mike Patrick crossed that out, and he was like, guys, I can't go that far. Yeah. But the 16 hearts beating as one, we'll go with that.
3: I'll accept that. Yeah. I don't really remember this, but I wrote hot rejoin music. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what that's about. I'll go back and uh, put it in if it's, if it's worth using.
7: ESPN 2's presentation of NCAA Basketball is brought to you by the new 98th Century by Buick, a Consumer's Digest Best Buy.
2: Welcome back to the Dean Smith Center in Chapel Hill for Duke against North Carolina. Get a
3: young Jay Billis with hair. Lots of hair. Very young
4: Jay Billis. Yeah. In the tunnel. Fresh, it wasn't long since he had been an assistant coach on the Duke staff at this point, yeah, right?
3: Yeah, he uh, he gets us previewed on how awesome Antoine Jameson is, and let me give you a spoiler: Antoine Jameson is
0: awesome.
2: <laughs> Our colleague Jay Bellis played in nine of these. Let's get his thoughts right now, Jay. Mike Antoine Jamison is the most
7: difficult player in the country to match up with. He has got great speed. He is a relentless rebounder, and he does a great job when he catches the ball of getting it up with a quick release, the fastest in the country.
4: I thought maybe we didn't get enough Jay Billis. I thought every time they went to him, he gave us something good. So
3: I don't really remember, Adam. I guess sideline, sideline reporting in basketball now is very commonplace but I don't I guess maybe then it wasn't I don't really remember because it was very clear that everything Jay Billis did was very like pre-planned pre it was not very much on the fly kind of stuff that I think you think about now there's obviously some pre-planned stuff now but you you only went to him if it was something that they had talked about in the pre-game production meeting
4: well and this is the famous clock on Jameson game and if you did that today. You'd get the clock it, would yeah. be running, and you'd get updates at every media timeout or something of where we stood. Now, so we've
3: already met Mike and and Dicky V. I thought they were better in this game than in the Florida State game. I didn't, and if you listen to the '93 rewatch, I'll have to say we had some qualms with some of the things that they said, particularly Mike Patrick and Adam. We can go through it, but you you were a little harsher on. On Mikey P. and Dickie V. than I was. I was. I, I've
4: got some quibbles. Okay.
2: Mike Patrick does say... You couldn't get into this building... Right now, if you had fifteen hundred dollars in cash standing outside, <laughs> nobody is gonna give you a ticket. I
4: looked it up and did my math computations. That'd be two thousand three hundred and eighty dollars and forty seven cents today. Wow. you oh,
3: Captain Inflation. You're, Good job, Adam.
4: You really think you couldn't get in for two thousand three couldn't get in for two thousand three hundred and eighty dollars?
3: I think if freshman year in college Jones had fifteen hundred bucks, <laughs> somebody would have let him into the arena.
4: That's yeah. what I think too. Yeah. I think somebody told Mike Patrick I heard they sold a ticket for $1500 you know $1500 wouldn't get you in tonight.
3: Now I will say I distinctly remember I mean the, oh, it was hot the hop, the the hype leading in this game Huge. was big.
4: Well, and in my mind in Tar Heel Fan Adams mind Carolina was a lot better than Duke this year because I I do think they were and Carolina beat them 2 out of 3 this game, there's no Elton Brand, but I underrated how good Duke was. They were forcing 22.4 turnovers a game. That's a lot. Now, again, this is per ESPN stats, which also right. tell me some other things that may or may right. not be true. If
3: you're 1 of 15, you're shooting 1%. 1%. 1%. Yeah. <laughs>
4: so this could be if you turned it over two times, you're averaging 22.4. Right. But that's what the stats said. Well, they forced a lot of turnovers in this
3: game. Yeah. Our boy Ed Coda. A little casual. Little little casual. Well, but as we'll get to played a big role late yeah not he wasn't casual when it mattered um get Kearney Andrews in the PA for the starting lineups
4: what's your feelings on Wojo because he plays a big role in this game and I feel like we need to establish where we stand on him well
3: I think a lot of things I think he is he embodied I mean Hurley Leitner was early 90s Duke I think Wojo embodies late 90s Duke, right? And he wasn't as good as Hurley. But I do think he's a better player than I remember him yeah. being. And this is also when Duke started moving. They were moving towards the three-point shot a lot more than, than in previous years. I mean, this is when they started making that move in this time period to shooting a lot of threes, and Wojo was a big part of that. But, I mean... You mentioned Carolina took two out of three. Tariels blew a big they should have won all three. They blew yes. a big lead in the in the game the season finale of this series uh, when they met in Cameron, and that's that real famous Wojo goes and hugs Mike She's, I can't deal with that part of Wojo. Right. I do think I think he's a better player than I remember. I have heard I think we've discussed this before people that knew him when he lived in this area as a dude actually said he was a pretty good dude but i can't handle the dukeness level of of wojciechowski
4: i think he's always bothered me less than chris collins well it's because i think he's a better player well and i but i also think but i think chris collins thinks he is better as a player than wojo which is i think wojo fully grasps what he is what he was even at the time no illusions of what he was or wasn't i think he got it and did exactly what he was told to do, which is fine. Did he annoy me? Yes. But I would put him below, far below Leitner, below Hurley, definitely below Chris Collins, below Greg Paulus, on the ranks of Duke guys who have bothered me. I I thought even Shane Battier got to the point where he totally bought into the fact that he was a lot better than anybody else, even though that really wasn't true. So... I just I could never quite drum up the hatred for Wojo. It as we've talked about on here before, it was more what people said about him that made you dislike him more than anything he himself did.
3: Well, I think that's the case with Paulus too. Right. Much more than I agree with you about some of the other guys though. I mean Hurley Leitner, come on.
4: Oh well, well, and it would be interesting, since we've got some free time, yeah. maybe one day we could do this, to do just an evolution of Duke. I think Carolina's been pretty much what Carolina is for a long time. Duke's gone through some phases. Like- well,
3: absolutely. I mean, they and you, know, the freshman class, you mentioned Elton Brand, and this is a very different Duke that's coming up over the next several years. Um, this is not Hurley, or Grant Hill. I mean, they, this is, you know, Elton Brand had broken his foot, so he was out for the year, but Will Avery was a freshman on this team.
4: But Elton Brand makes a miraculous recovery.
3: Right. Chris Carwell uh, is on this team as a freshman. McGetty is coming the next season. Jason Williams and Mike Dunleavy are coming soon. Uh Boozer, not on this team yet, but I don't I don't think. He didn't play in this game if he was. But so he's coming soon. So it's a different evolution. Then Duke changes into that late 2000s group where I think Shashevsky struggled a little bit when he took over the USA team to manage everything. They dropped some in talent, and then it changed dramatically with Kyrie Irving to what we know Duke of today. I think those are four, I guess, is that one, two, three, about four or five very different eras of Duke.
4: Yeah, if you only know Duke today, you don't fully appreciate the the people who didn't like Duke in the late eighties, early nineties. That was a completely oh, yeah. different, different That's not
3: yeah, we're not even talking about Allah Abdul Nabi and Danny Ferry. No.
4: Yeah. I mean And, and Hurley and Leitner. Yeah. And it's just a you disliked them then for a completely different reason then you dislike them now if you dislike them for a reason other than they are Duke.
3: All right, so we get the starting lineups on the PA, as I mentioned. Let's go to the public
2: address announcer, Kearney Andrews. Good evening. Welcome to the University of North Carolina's Dean E. Smith Center. Tonight, the Tar Heels are pleased to host the Blue Devils of Duke University. Here are the starters for tonight's game. For the Blue Devils at forwards, number 20 is a 6'8 sophomore. From Southfield, Michigan, Mike Chappelle. Number four, 6'8 senior from Jersey City, New Jersey, Rashawn McLeod. At center number 40, a 6'10 junior from Lovington, New Mexico, Tamon Domzalski. The Guards, number 21 is a 6'3 junior from Anchorage, Alaska, Trajan Langdon. And number 12, a 5'11 senior from Severna Park, Maryland, Steve Wojciechowski, And starting for the Tar Heels. At the forwards, number 13, a 6'9 junior from Berlin, Germany, Ademolo Okalija. At forward, number 15, a 6'7 junior from Daytona Beach, Florida, Vince Carter. At center, wearing number 33, a 6'9 junior from Charlotte, North Carolina, Antoine Jameson. At the guards, number five, a 6'1 sophomore from Brooklyn, New York, Ed Koda number three, a six-three senior from Greenville,
1: South
2: Carolina, Shamond
3: Williams. Adam, this was curious because the Duke starting lineup, I was like, how is this team number one in the country? You had Taman Domzowski was one of the starters and Mike Chappelle. And guys I knew were on Duke but weren't necessarily great players. Um, now, later on, the Blue Devils play some of those younger guys and you see why they were so good.
4: Their starting five was Wojo, Mike Chappelle, Taman Domzowski, Trajan Langdon, Rashawn McLeod. Which, as this game went on, this Duke team started to remind me a little bit of the 93 Carolina team. Mm. Like Not a ton of big names for the future, but it seemed like they got it done, and especially if you add Elton Brand in there, who I thought there was surprisingly little talk about how Elton Brand wasn't playing. If this certainly... If it had been Zion Williamson, we would have had a little different approach to this game. But a a couple side mentions of him and how he might be one of the three or four best freshmen in the ACC, he was better than that.
3: Oh, yeah. Elton Brand was a beast in in college. Yes. I mean, and uh, I've said this before. I think 98 Carolina and then 99 Duke are two of the best teams I've ever seen that didn't win. Duke was Duke only lost twice, The not the year that we're watching, but the next year they lost to Cincinnati in the Maui Invitational Championship and then didn't lose again until the championship game. And they weren't real close with teams. I mean, they blew teams out. They
4: weren't real close to teams this year. Yeah. Well, and 99 was the famous Take em Trajan game.
3: Yeah. Whew. Trajan Langdon was good, but... But not good at that. No. So, I did write here, Adam, sweet Lord, the Tar are good. <laughs> and, but I will say... You could I mean, Carolina, the the six players, and then Brendan Haywood was the seventh that Carolina played were really, really good. But I think you could also see that the Tariels, I mean, there was talked a lot during this game about their lack of depth. And, you know, after this season, Shaman Williams is gone, Antoine Jameson's gone, Vince Carter's gone, Mack jai has gone. And you can see that Carolina, you can see some of the troubles that are coming for Carolina in the next couple of years, because the Tariels lose, they drop off pretty significantly in talent. Now, Carolina had a highly recruited class coming in with Capel, Lang, and Curry. It just didn't turn out as they didn't. None of them were bad college players. I'm not saying that, but it didn't turn out to be. I think it was the number one class in the nation. If not, it was number probably two behind maybe Duke. Um, so it, it was. It just didn't turn out quite as good as they wanted.
4: We texted some about this while we were watching the game. Jason Williams turned this whole thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because Jason Williams, who legend
3: has it, wanted to be a Tar eel, but Carolina had Ronald Curry and didn't take him.
4: And if Jason Williams comes to Carolina, I think things unfold differently in a whole lot of ways.
3: I know we've talked a lot about Duke, but it's hard to, I mean, they were so good in the upcoming three to four years. And part of that reason was because Carolina was down because they went from Dean Smith to Bill Guthers to Matt Doherty. I mean, there was just so much transition that the Tar Heels struggled here in these next couple of seasons and Duke took advantage.
4: Yeah, that wasn't a very fun time. No. But this night was a fun
3: night. Yes, it was. So I had forgotten how, uh, how poorly Carolina started this game. Me too. Boy, Tar Heels were bad the first couple. And you could tell some of it was the game was just so – Hyped up, like we said. Um, Carolina missed its first four shots. I enjoyed uh, – at one point, Shaman Williams had an open three, to which uh, Dickie V told me
2: – Nice look. That's what the matter. Shaman Williams, too strong. And he missed it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> but then uh, Duke, after a 4 nothing lead, Antoine Jameson, a couple free throws. Vince Carter, uh, with a jump shot, tied it up at four.
4: Right in this stretch – when it's 4-2, Antoine Jamison gets a rebound between three Duke guys. Yeah. And just, like, jumps out of the floor while everyone else is a head below him. He's faster than all of them, and he's higher than all of them. And you just remember how good Antoine Jamison was. Mike
3: Patrick, Adam's boy, says, You
2: make a mistake against Duke, and they make you pay for it every time.
3: The Tar Heels immediately turn it over. And Ed Coder really really struggled early in this game. Mike Patrick said, "Hoda
2: lost that one out of bounds. Maybe a little case of the nerves for North Carolina early."
4: He told us uh on the pod that he he didn't get the nerves cuz he had grown up playing uh, up in New York City yeah. and things were a little more yeah. serious there. These
3: games were nothing compared to that.
4: Yeah. Hey, good thing
3: uh I do know one things back from Dickie V, Adam. Freeze it. Dickie V loves freeze it.
4: This game reinforced my previous belief that Dicky V is good at a lot of things, but the Telestrator is not one of them. Mm. And just in general, like talking about replays is not really his thing. I had forgotten. I mean, I knew it, but I had forgotten how emotional this team was. Even right at uh, 4-4, oh, ben, yeah. Vince Carter rips a rebound away from Wojo, which I'm sure 1998 Adam loved, but he's all fired up. This team was Always right on the yes. edge, oh, which yeah. was something very different for a North Carolina team.
3: Hey guys, this Jones to supplement what Adam was talking about a moment ago. Wanted to go back to our interview with Scott Williams, former Tar Heel walk-on, of course, Coach Williams' son. He, he was a member of that 1998 team. When he joined the Carolina Insider a couple of weeks ago, he he talked about the skill and personality of that 98 squad being so unique so let's hear uh, from Scott Williams a little bit about the personality of 1998
8: Carolina. Vincent would do stuff in practice that you don't even hear about like you can't make up some of the stuff that I actually saw him do and and Eddie the 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 command that he had of the game and he wasn't incredibly fast. He wasn't uh, a particularly great leaper. He didn't, frankly, he didn't shoot it that well. Uh, but he would, he had such control of the ball uh, that he could make people look silly. I mean, he'd make me do pirouettes down the court trying to just stay in front of him. And it's not that it was that quick, but I could never tell he was going, uh, where he was going, or shamaned on that team. Shamond worked so hard and, and, and we had great senior leadership on, on that team. And it was, it was Coach Guthrie's first year as a head coach. And, and Shimond, you wanted to follow because he wanted it so bad and he put so much time into it. And he was the only guy that would have challenged me and, and Fred, Brad Frederick, for spending more time at the gym. And, and you wanted to follow him because you didn't want to let him down. And Maktar, you did what he said because Maktar might dig your heart out with a spoon in your sleep if you didn't. And, and you know, I've told him that. Um, and, and so Maktar still, and Shaman you know, are still very good friends of mine. Um, but that was a particularly unique team that was particularly well-suited for Coach Guthrie's first year where you really needed some strong personalities. You're talking about Jameson. I wrote down here just how quick
3: his release is. I, Adam, it's, it's incredible. It, if you didn't see Antoine Jamison play in college, or if you don't remember it, and he had, a, he had a very good and long NBA career, but he was a dominant college player. And it was because he got the ball and immediately was up off the floor above the defender and shooting and scoring or getting fouled. And they talked a lot about how his free throw shooting had improved during his three years, like a, he was around in the mid-50s or something his freshman year and he was mid-70s by here his junior year. And he drew a ton of fouls, which, by the way, there are a ton of fouls in this game. But he drew a ton of fouls, and he was just so quick and decisive in what he was doing that the defense didn't have time to react. Hi, guys. Jones again. While we're talking about Jamison's quickness, Wanted to drop in a comment from Adamola Okalija, a member of the 1998 Carolina team. Okalija joined the Carolina Insider back in November of 2019. And in talking a lot about those teams and those years of Carolina basketball, Adamola gave his unique perspective on Jamison's quickness and how difficult it was to defend.
5: Antoine, he, he's just so damn quick. His Turnaround post move. He, I think that was almost in, a new invented move. Yeah, you know he caught it, and then usually people face it and then shoot. Yeah, but he jumped, then turn around, and then sh- you know you couldn't defend it because you, who thinks that a guy is going to jump with the back to the basket? He would, but he was just so fast off the ground. And we did the skills thing, where I beat the guys, and then it was you know. All these things, and then it was um, at the end was touch the rim five times, and then uh, run back. So I'm ahead. So I'm touching it two times. I'm like, I got
6: him. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Here comes Antoine, and his you know he's so quick off the floor. And he's like, tuk, 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 five, and he's back, and I'm on three. I said, mm. you know, Coach Smith, you couldn't curse. I was like, ah, ah.
4: and it gets frustrating because you're like, ah, you know, your victory lab, I got you. Though. And by, by this year, we all knew Antoine Jameson was good. But I, I remember 95, 96, Adam thought Vince Carter was the man. No,
3: well, Vince Carter was number one recruit, right? Yeah, in, the, in the nation.
4: He was number one in my heart, so, I know Yeah, that. And, He was a higher rated recruit oh, than Antoine
3: Jameson. Antoine Jameson, who was not, he was like 20 to 25. But, and at least for me, and I've said this before, this is one of the first times you knew who the recruits were before they got it. it at Stackhouse Wallace, um, Eric's class, that's when you, it started to become, but I mean, you definitely knew who these guys were, but you really only knew Vince Carter on this one. And then it turned out, Antoine Jameson was the best player that in ninety-six, even with Jeff McGinnis as a veteran player, Jamie you could tell Jameson was the best player and it was it was
4: shocking. He reminded me as a freshman of Tyler Hansbrough as a freshman, where they you knew they were pretty good before they got there, but then they instantly were the best player from the first game forward and consistently were throughout the year. And that was just something we weren't always, especially at this time. You weren't used to a freshman being that good, right. but he was this good for 3 consecutive years.
3: You know, i thought about Hansbro some in this game cuz Jameson and Hansbro the last two tutorials to have their jerseys retired. Last two national players of the year played similar positions, but they did it in different ways. I mean, Hansbro was so much about strength and effort and will and kind of angles of his body, whereas Jameson is just pure speed and athleticism as and I mean they just did it in different ways, even though they were doing similar things, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, at one point, Carolina's down 11-6. to 6, Jameson gets an easy basket.
2: Somebody says, once he gets it inside, it's over.
3: I agree. I wrote, sweet move from Vince Carter to make it 12-10. I don't know what he did, but he was sweet.
4: Yeah, he goes to the rim uh, and sort of spins around somebody. Okay, you, ha- you didn't mention the Buick Century Aliens commercial? Yeah, I fast-forwarded through the commercials Oh, a lot, that was a mistake. But the Buick, yeah, that one came on a bunch. We're really pushing the Buick Century, and for some reason we're doing it with aliens. Yeah. Uh, the marketing meetings were different in those days. Uh, here's my first quibble with Mike Patrick. Mike Shashevsky is complaining that he thinks Antoine Jameson initiates the contact, uh, yeah. and Mike Patrick goes, well, it's me, but that's what, sh- that's. oh, he says, it's true, but that's what shooters get away with. Now, on the next possession, Mike Patrick gives us, well, Jameson leans in again and gets another one. Ah. So, he's totally bought into what he says, Mike Krzyzewski, which you know they talked about. Oh, yeah. And like, if you guys watch Jameson, he leans in every time. And now, here we got Mike Patrick telling everybody, well, Jameson leans in again and gets another one.
3: So... We got the uh, Shane Battier saying that Carolina was his second choice. Dickie V tells us that. The
2: same with Battier. He told me tonight.
3: He said my second choice was North Carolina. Yeah, that was true. Yep, That was a big recruiting decision. And then, Adam, ugh, ugh. Vital having to tell us that Mike Krzyzewski's
2: back. And you look at his eyes now, Mike. He's got that fire again that seemed to have disappeared back in 95, but it's there bigger than ever now in Mike Krzyzewski's eyes.
3: That was the problem. Yep. Didn't have fire in his eyes.
4: Uh, that Vince Carter move that you mentioned, I wrote down that Mike Chappelle got put in the torture chamber. <laughs> like, rarely do you see someone put in the torture chamber who's not a post player because that's Big Grits' saying. Mike Chappelle, the rare wing guy to go into the torture chamber – also, I'm concerned about Mike Patrick's body temperature regulation. Yeah.
3: Oh, yeah, I have that written down. And it's warm in this building
2: tonight.
4: He again says it's warm in this building yeah. tonight. Yeah.
3: Just like he did in 93,
4: five years later, can't
3: handle the heat. <laughs> Look, Mike, if it's a big game. It's a lot of people.
4: There's going to be warm. There'll be 22,000 people in the one building, and the temperature is going to rise. You need to dress appropriately. So, Adam, uh, a stunner that the basket that kind of
3: opens the floodgates for the Tar Heels is a Maktar Jai (laughs) three-pointer. Maktar
2: Jai will try a three and he hit it. That is big. If Maktar Jai is knocking that down, that is unbelievably special for Carolina. To
3: make it 16-13, I enjoyed a couple things. One, it's Maktar's just second made three of the year, but the best part about it is the old Theo Pinson line. Where Theo used to say when he'd shoot a three, he could hear everybody in the crowd groan when he shot. You could audibly hear the groan in the Smith Center when Mactar took this shot and he knocks it in and it like lights a fire on the Tar heels.
4: Very up and down night for Mactar Jai. Oh, Little bit of the They're, whole Mactar Jai experience in this game.
3: Yes, Mactar plays a big role later on. After playing great here for a while, so uh, Haywood in, Brendan Haywood as a freshman gets a Big dunk, put back to cap a seven-zero run, and uh, or excuse me, to extend a run, make it seven nothing. Uh, Carolina takes the lead. Dicky V goes insane.
2: Oh, Kalijah partially blocked. The fellow, hello, hello, this Hale-ed is Haywood, the big freshman. Oh, that was Haywood off the bench, the big guy, the seven-footer, was so far up. Listen to this play. It's ready to explode here
4: and he had no idea it was haywood no he thought it was i guess jameson and then not until he sees the replay does he go oh that was haywood yeah the guy wearing double zero
3: yeah uh adam mentioned this earlier we get uh, some quick sound bites from shaman williams and vince carter on bill guthridge this of course was coach guthridge's first year of taking over first of three seasons as head coach
4: it's funny to see young Shimon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's not at all the polished, older Shimon that we're used to now.
6: This was shy young Shimon. As assistant coach, um, we didn't get the opportunity to see him make many decisions. But now as a head coach, he's done a great job of just making those decisions. And we feel confident with each and every decision that he makes. He's given us the opportunity to just
1: go out there and have fun and play basketball. But yet, um, we're a mature team and he knows when it's time to settle down and do what we have to do.
3: Jameson going to do it. Jameson uh, s- extends the run to 9-0 with a basket. And then right after Dickie V says that Trajan Langdon isn't getting enough shots, he gets a wide open three and buries it to tie the game.
2: Langdon had a big game last year when they beat North Carolina 26, but they haven't allowed him to get too many looks at the basket. North Carolina goes zone on the inbounds, and Trajan Langdon loves the sight of a zone. He must have heard us up here. The Alaskan Assassin loves to shoot the triple.
4: And I wrote down, Vital still bad at Telestrator. We we got a, uh, right in here, we got a Chili's Baby Back Ribs. Coming oh, first, yeah. oh yeah. I
5: want my baby, baby back, baby, 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 baby back,
4: Chili's Baby Back Ribs. Oh, barbecue oh, sauce. Oh, yeah.
5: Oh, yeah. <laughs>
3: Shimon Williams with a steal and a layup. Adam, I wrote just how fast this, st- this team in transition, when you had Coda and Carter and Shimon Williams and Jameson and Oka, I mean, they were deadly in transition.
4: Well, and there's a play later that we'll talk about where they go 94 feet with the ball not touching the uh, floor. And it uh. goes, poop, boop, boop, dunk.
3: At this point, Carolina's made 11 of 12 shots and is now up 25-22. We get a uh, reference to Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield.
2: Tonight, we got Tyson and Holyfield. There won't be no biting anybody tonight. They have hit four. Well, I'm not so sure about
3: that. Tar with another three. 27-27. Uh, Adam, Dick Vitale says...
2: I'll say this, and I know some people will not agree. I think Dean Smith, what he did in over 30 years, is the greatest role model of all college sports. He won, players graduated, and there was never any NCAA violation. Mike Patrick has to begrudgingly agree. <laughs> Couldn't agree with you more. He set the standard. This
4: is, when, is this when Dick Vitale randomly starts saying that he misses Dean Smith and wants to know where he is? Yes like he was expecting him to be there to greet him i oh, miss dean smith where's dean i want to see him but well, just you're watching the game it's the dean smith center
3: man then you get just a electric sequence from carolina there's a Jamison dunk vital's just going insane vince carter gets a layup and you get a big stare down from uh mike chischewski hello <laughs>
2: Heels somewhere in America. Avery misses the jumper. Jamison, outlet to Shaman Williams. When in doubt, go right inside. Carter. Better get a TL, baby. Better get a TL. Mr. K. got Better get a TL. Phil Ford's all pumped up. Everybody's pumped up here. And the D, though. No. There's the TL by Coach K. Mike Shashevsky giving the officials the stare. He thought he should have gotten a foul at the other end of the court, but Carolina explodes for a six-point lead over overdue. Yeah,
4: he wasn't happy. This is also when we get Dick Vitale talking about the refs, and, but then doesn't name them. Yeah. He talks about how great they are and how he thinks these are the probably the best in the country but then clearly isn't quite sure who they are.
2: He just knows their skill level. You know what's beautiful, too, Mike? We have not mentioned it yet. We got three guys blowing the whistle today. All three have won the final four. We got three of Freddie Barakat's best in the ACC. I think sometimes they get maligned too much and do a great job.
4: And this this was also a trademark moment as Mike Krzyzewski calls the timeout and then obviously spends it yelling at the officials, you can oh, tell, yeah. which was a go-to move at this point in time.
3: Is this where James, is this the Jameson play where he, he drew the foul, too, and he got barely touched, or is that later on? That's later on. Okay. Um, Adam, we get this story about the Jordan jersey being stolen, yeah. which I had totally forgotten
2: about. They stole Michael Jordan's jersey this weekend. They stole it. Somebody climbed those rafters up there, way on top and took the jersey of Mr. Jordan. Look at it. It's missing. It used to be hanging next to 52. Worthy. They got to catch that guy. Got to catch that thief. Got to find out who he is. Oh, we know one thing. He can climb. I know it can't be me because I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> as much as I'd like that jersey, I wouldn't go up there to get it.
4: Did they ever find Yeah, was it, Wasn't it like on the steps of Carmichael? It, it was returned. So this was
3: the old jerseys in the rafter, not the ones that are currently up there because it got redone 10, 15 years ago. But right before this game, someone literally climbed into the rafters and stole the Jordan jersey that was hanging there. Now, at the time, the jerseys that were up there, I'm going to tell you, Adam, they weren't real nice. No. i, I had forgotten that they didn't, they didn't look real good. It was just like somebody went to the local sports store and got it screen printed on there and kind of hung it from the rafters. They're, mu- they're much better looking today, but I had totally forgotten about this story 100%. But right before the game, somebody climbed up there and stole the Jordan jersey like two or three days before this game occurred.
4: Well, and supposedly that was in response to some stuff had gotten stolen from Duke's Hall of Fame in 97. Mm. They took uh, Grant Hill, Leitner, and of course, Dick Grote jerseys. Uh, and then so this was supposedly revenge for that. And there was supposed to be some big elaborate thing, but Somebody found it, I think, by accident at Cameron because they were going to tape over Jordan with Grant Hill and tape over the 23 with 33. Again, see, too much effort going into this. It could have been better with a little less. Um, and so they accidentally find it. So it, it did eventually get returned. But it, that was kind of a, that's one of those things like Scott Williams getting kicked out of the game, like one of those weird side things that happened at a Carolina Duke game that you forget about.
3: I wrote down lots of Tariel turnovers. They already they commit their eighth turnover already.
4: Around this time, uh, Antoine Jameson gets a bloody nose when the Duke Shooter oh, yeah. initiates contact. Yeah. But Mike Patrick doesn't mention that. Forgets to mention. I wrote down, Adam, that Dickie V has a little
3: speech I just wrote nice to dream but work ethic. I don't remember that. We'll have to put it
4: in. Oh, yeah, he like speaks directly. He's talking about Antoine Jameson's free throw shooting, I think. He
2: worked all summer on that free throw line. He said, I knew I was going to go to the line a great deal. He told me I worked like diligently on that free throw line, and he's improved immeasurably. Shot 50% as a freshman. Look at that, 62% as a South and up to 72% this year. That's a little sign for you young people. It's nice to dream, but make those dreams happen like great work ethic.
4: He's already a little confused because when he's talking about the Jordan jersey, he talks about, we're way up high in the catbird seat today. Uh, that we're working from
2: way up high in the catbird seat today.
3: Yeah, so they were, they were in that, that middle level. They weren't down courtside no. for this one. They were in that kind of middle level in the Smith Center. The, the, yeah,
4: the, the top of the lower level. Top
3: of the lower level, but below the upper level. Yes.
4: Right. Not what I would call no. way up high in the catbird seat. No.
3: There's, there are much higher seats in the Smith Center.
4: He, Dick Vitale, sits in higher seats in the ACC. But then later, he completely contradicts this. But we'll get to that.
3: Uh, We get after another Jamison dunk. Vitale says it's
2: Jamison ahead. Hello, hello, Jam City. Jam City here in Chapel Hill. The mecca for college hoops tonight. This is the capital of the basketball world tonight. Jamison ahead.
4: shaman williams gets the rebound over kind of in front of the carolina bench and it goes shaman vince carter ed coda antoine jameson dunk the ball that's never the, hits that's the, floor. the jam
3: city yeah i wrote what a put back by jameson to make it 43 31 as the tar heels are pulling away jameson at this point adam has 18 points and six rebounds already we're still in the first half. uh adam an exciting ricky price showing for duke yeah. i mean has anybody's career gone in the wrong direction? I mean, Ricky Price was the best player on Duke in 96, and now we're two years later, and he's barely getting anything.
2: There's Ricky Price, the senior who has not seen very many minutes this year. Mike Krzyzewski hoping to get some lift from one of his seniors. North Carolina on another 8 nothing run. Trying to bring in some experience, Mike. Ricky Price didn't gain eligibility to the latter part in December. In practice with the club. Had some great moments last year as a Aid special, a six-man.
4: And they touch on it loosely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're very much sort of skirting around it of exactly what has happened with Ricky Price. But all we know is he was playing a lot. Now he doesn't play hardly at all. But we still think he's a good player.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just wrote. Jameson is so quick. I mean, he—it's hard. I mean, he dominate. He dominates this whole game, but this stretch in particular. I mean, he is just everywhere and is clearly on a different level, regardless of who's guarding him. If it's in the half court, if it's in the full court. He's just everywhere. I, he has, I wrote, so quick, has 20, and then immediately gets a nice pass from Coda for a layup. Jameson all of a sudden has 22 points. Again, we're still in the first half here, and it's 47-34.
2: Jamison, again, that's 20. Can't handle him tonight on the inside. It's the Antoine Jamison Show. Awesome Antoine. Three-pointer by Trajan Langdon. Comes out. Carrawell with a rebound. Then he had it taken away by Coda. Oh, there it is. Jamison with 20. Like the coming of a,
3: a few plays later, Trajan Langdon gets switched onto Jamison in the post, and Carolina fails to get him the ball with this mismatch, and... Dicky V says,
2: "Throwing the ball, that's an M That's like having Cindy Crawford in her finest bikini against Roseanne Barr in the beauty contest. That's a no contest."
3: Okay, so going into halftime, Carter gets a nice block right at the uh, end of the first half. Uh, to after Carolina, I think he had turned it over there on late in the. That was Okalaja, I thought. Oh, maybe it was Oklahoma. They got the block. Maybe it was. I wrote Carter just because I expected it.
4: Yeah, that. that seems like something Vince Carter would do.
2: Wojciechowski with the steal. Tries to get it ahead and does. But the block. Was a great pass by Wojo, and he come up empty because of the great defense. What a brilliant performance. An A-plus, baby, if you had a chart to evaluate the heels. An A-plus for the first half.
4: Well, and this is when we get – I thought that was an amazing stat that – Duke's average halftime lead has been 19.6 points. I don't remember
3: them being this good. To your point, I don't remember them being this good this year, but apparently they were. Or maybe the ACC just wasn't very good. But Maryland was really good.
4: I remember that. Well, one thing I am 1,000% sure of, it's the first time Duke has trailed at halftime. That's right. Because we get told that at least three times, But then, and we sort of undersell the fact that their average halftime lead has been 19 points. They're up by 20 on average every, and this is pretty deep in the year. We're in early February. It's not like this is all against South Dakota State or something.
3: Right. Carolina closed the half 15 to 3. They're up by 16, 50 to 34. They shot 68% in the first half. Jameson had 23 points and six boards on nine of 11 shooting. That's pretty good.
4: Even Damon Domzowski thinks that was impressive. He begrudgingly salutes him.
3: We're heading to half number two. uh, Okalaja gets a layup and a foul. Dickie V is upset by this, Adam. He tells us...
2: Okalaja, bucket, and the foul. You know what's amazing, Mike, right there? That's not Duke basketball. That's not Duke defense.
4: This is also in the time that he tells us something also that sort of makes you realize why they were so good. Duke has eight McDonald's All-Americans on this team. Yeah, they do. It's not like like just because we don't necessarily remember them as being great. They've got a a team and a half of McDonald's All-Americans, so they're pretty good.
3: Uh, Dickie V defines a role player for us. He's
2: a solid role player, one of the best role players in college basketball. I define a role player as somebody that sets screens, hustles, dives for loose balls, gets on the offensive boards. You need those kind of players.
3: I thought this was interesting. Dickie V mentions Matt Doherty and how he needs to get a head job because yeah. he's a rising star and he's learned so much under Roy Williams at Kansas and he's a up and comer
4: in the coaching ranks.
2: Matt Doherty was a great role player and now a flight assistant at Kansas deserving of a head job learning so much under Roy Williams.
4: Well, and that that made me think we're not that far away from no. that whole thing shaken down. No, we're not
3: that far away from Roy Williams becoming the head coach of the Tar Heels. Right. I mean. We're a lot. Co- it was a lot closer to then than we are to it now. Yeah. Oh, Adam, a one of my favorite. I've got the talk, I've got the radio call for this that I want to put in. Vince Carter hurts his back apparently, and everybody's very concerned that Vince Carter's hurt his back. Carolina then gets a steal and throws an alley oop to <laughs> to Vince Carter who yams at home.
7: Has hurt his back. Chappelle to Wojciechowski. Wojciechowski pumps the three. No good. The air ball caught by Shimon Williams. Williams going quickly front court the other way. The alley-oop to Carter for the slam dunk. Right in between Langdon and Wojciechowski. How did he catch it? And then how did he dunk it? I guess his
4: back's all right. Yeah, I guess so. Well, and that was such a classic Vince Carter play because he would occasionally do this. Yeah, oh yeah. Where he had been catastrophically injured and next thing you know, he's jumping over the backboard. Because when, when Vince Carter got hurt in college, you knew it. He probably was going to let you know about it. Yeah. But then he also was very likely going to jump from the free throw line and dunk in your face.
3: Adam, I wrote lots of fouls in the second half, and, and I'm not sure because I don't think they ever told me how many team fouls there were. It, when there was no graphic. The graphics are better, so you've got the clock and the score the whole time. That was nice. But they're not really adding a whole lot of, other graphics that you would expect to see today. Um, so I don't know if I ever saw how many fouls, but I mean, it felt like there was a whistle and a foul on every possession.
4: Except for when uh, Trajan Langdon leaned into Shaman Williams and initiated some contact and uh, Mike Patrick had no comment about that.
3: Shaman uh, gets a backdoor layup, then a fast break. Dicky V goes crazy over this. Look
2: at the backdoor. Right, what a Shaman do- Williams! I'm seeing a clinic here, Mike. They're putting a coach's clinic on and how to execute the backdoor cut. 60-42. to They can make it a 20-point lead here. Williams again. What a shot they're putting on, baby. We're seeing basketball at its best. This is unbelievable. The execution, the efficiency.
3: Mactar picks up his fourth foul of the game with 15.02 to go. He's like Big Grits in the Florida State game. Can't stop fouling.
4: Except he doesn't throw any basketballs at Scott Cherry.
3: That we know of. He does throw a basketball at something. Yeah. Another Carter dunk. Carter
2: can't win. You cannot come back unless you start to play on a defensive end. And it's layup city right now. The heels are getting nothing but layups. Duke is being shredded inside. He also says, Dick, you know how you get a feeling for games? I have the distinct feeling Duke is not going to make the big run tonight.
4: He just has that feeling. Yeah. One of
3: those famous Patrick Gut feelings.
4: I enjoyed when uh, when Vince Carter had that ridiculous dunk and the fan in the stands raised the roof. Yeah, I wrote that down too. Now
3: remember, raise the roof was really hot in 97.
4: Yeah, because that's when they, the players got Dean Smith to do it at yep. the Final Four. Or after advancing to the Final Four. Adam, I wrote here, so Haywood's
3: having to play a lot more because Maktar uh, has the, the four fouls. And Haywood gets a steal, goes three on one, and just absolutely runs over Wojciechowski. Whereas if he had passed it at any moment in the after the steal, it would have been an easy basket.
4: But Mike Patrick and Dick Vitale love this oh. because little old Wojo stood up to big bad Brendan Haywood. Uh, it was on, it was,
3: everybody was on brand on this play. Yes. Haywood was the Talented freshman, but was making silly mistakes. You could tell that he was probably going to be good, but he didn't do it right just yet. Will Joe was, didn't care that big old Haywood was barreling down on him. He was going to stand in and take the charge. It was it – was, storybook. out.
2: Oh, that's sloppy by McLeod. Give it, Gave up. it right back to Haywood. Offensive foul on Haywood as the littlest guy in the court, Wojciechowski, saw the train coming and stood right in the middle of the tracks. He got right in front of the express and he had his head down, which is a no-no, and he tried to make like a little guard. All big people, even Shaq I've seen out with the Lakers, they all want to make like a guard. Look at a big fella trying to handle the rock. Look at him. He wants to be like the Magic Man used to be. Give it up, big fella. Give it up. And look at Wojo come and get me that's right
4: given this team you could have done almost anything other than what you did and Carolina gets a dunk yeah. but we went with option C just run Wojo over yeah
3: now i did enjoy that haywood tried to pass it after yeah. running would be <laughs> like i was
4: going to pass it <laughs> i was dropping off this sweet bounce pass to the right guys i don't know why anyone blew the whistle
3: adam this is when chris burgess who oh boy yet again a really highly recruited duke player who Ended up transferring and didn't turn out to much. Um, Adam, he shot two of the worst free throws I have ever seen in my life. I mean that.
2: When you shoot 36.4%, you think of that as long-range shooting. This is from 15 feet away with no one in your face. He doesn't keep his body squared to the goal and relax. Yeah, he starts drifting away. away. Yes, drifts away on his shot. He's got a better touch than that. There's no way in the world this guy should be shooting what he's doing. 20 for 56 right now. I mean, that is a no-no for, for a kid with his ability. His concentration, got to develop confidence, but that's, see, he's drifted on his shot. Psychologically, I can see that it's affected him as well. Doesn't want to be on that line. Shows that with no. his body language. He has very little chance right now when he goes up there to shoot. And
3: he is now 20 of 58, apparently, on the year. And, I mean, Dick Vitale was like a disappointed dad <laughs> that Chris Burgess was so bad at the line.
4: Chris Burgess shot those free throws as though he was playing that game at the fair where you knock over the milk cartons with the baseball. Like he thought the goal of the free throw was to knock over the backboard. I've not, He fell back. I mean, both
3: times he like shot a fadeaway at the free throw line, but I thought, a line
4: drive fadeaway. But that was what was impressive athletically was that somehow. While falling away, he still shot an absolute rocket that had oh, rock. no chance of going in. Like, you would think if you were shooting a fadeaway, maybe you just graze the front of the rim. Not Chris Burgess. He's just going to knock that thing over. And this is also when we get the news that Melvin Levitt from Cincinnati wants to challenge Vince Carter to a dunk contest.
3: I, mean, I didn't I miss that.
4: <laughs> okay, Melvin Yeah. We're ready anytime you are, <laughs> even right now. Even right now, Vince Carter would take your challenge. <laughs> whatever happened to Burgess was it you BYU? BYU BYU something
3: like or that or was
4: it BYU where he was going to go but he went to Duke instead and then he went back he went back to the state of Utah yeah. I believe yes <laughs> uh Uh, And the best thing about him, though, was always how demoralized he looked on the bench. You saw it even in this game. It's as though he knows Dick Vitale is disappointed in him. You can see it in Chris Burgess's face on the bench. Yeah, guys, I'm really letting down Dickie V and Mikey P. I feel like I've let my boys down up there. I'm afraid I'm going to have to go shoot
3: a free throw. I can just feel it coming. (laughs) Speaking of bad free throws, Jameson airballs one. That's fine. It's about the only thing he did wrong all night. I'm going to assume he meant to do that. Brendan Haywood with another big dunk follow. Jameson jump hook. Wouldn't
2: go, but Haywood with a monster follow. I'll tell you one thing about Brendan Haywood, Mike. Every time I'm watching him as the season's progressing, he's getting a little and a little bit better each time.
3: Then Duke hits a three to make it 66-52. This is when Vince Carter gets the up and under dunk and foul, and you get to raise the roof in the crowd. Carter,
2: hello. Little reverse. Let's see if it counts. It does. I can't believe how free they're getting without the basketball. How people are not challenging him and denying the basketball. Usually a rule in the Duke defense is to deny. Look at him on the inside right now. Look at Carter. He's going to post. And there's the explosion. Nobody rotates over. Nobody gives any help. And it's Jam City. It's the elevator man. He's up, up, and away.
4: That dunk was ridiculous.
3: It was incredible. Coming back from break. Adam's boy, Steve Wojahalski. we get a uh, good shot of him yelling at the team. Oh, yeah.
4: Well, and credit to Vital, who correctly says, like, you can tell he's going to be a coach because he won't accept anything less than winning and being your best. Look at, Wojo. Look
2: at Wojo. He is going absolutely that's nuts a, with his teammates. That's a leader. That's a born leader. That's a future coach. I mean, hates to lose. You can see it all over the passion and the love for competing the little guys.
3: Jameson, Adam, I don't I don't, like a one-handed spinning
2: dunk by talent. I can't get over how easy they're executed. I can't get over. I cannot get over how easy they are executed. I cannot believe what I'm witnessing. I cannot believe seeing Duke being torn apart like they are by the Carolina offense.
3: Jameson has 31 points and 8 rebounds at this point, and the score is 73-54. to 54.
4: On 12 of 15 shooting.
3: That was so good.
7: Jamison at the high post, fakes a pass against McLeod, drives on him, jumps. Well, a fingertip roll. I thought he was going to take the jump shot behind the glass. Instead, the fingertip roll, and it's 71-54. McLeod for three. No good. Rebounded. Elijah. gets it to Coda. Carolina attacking. Go to left side against Wojciechowski. Now to the middle. Bounced it to Jamison. Reverse dunk is good against McLeod. He is giving McLeod an absolute clinic.
3: Uh, We get a Scott Williams uh, mention and talking about Coach Williams a little bit here, too? Yeah. And how proud Coach Williams is.
2: That's a look at Scott Williams, who just walked by Roy Williams' son. I know Roy's had so much success up in Kansas, but they tell me he went with unbelievable jubilation when his son scored on a three-point play and a drive, and I don't blame him. He said, that's three more than I got in my career in North Carolina.
3: (laughs) And, Adam, this is where the game takes a little bit of a turn. So, the Tar Heels have really dominated the game to this point. And as we had mentioned, up by 19. And the lead the whole second half had been kind of between 13 and 18, 19 points, right in that range. And Maktar, who's played well in this game despite the foul trouble, has a not very positive moment for him. As he is called for his fifth foul and proceeds to slam the ball as he is seated on the ground, slams the ball on the ground, and receives a technical foul.
2: And Maktar Jai called for the foul, slams the ball on the floor out of bounds, and then he's hit for a technical. Oh, what a silly play. Write this down to score right now, Mike. Write the score, the time of the game, because this could be a big set the mood in a negative scene for North Carolina
3: which results in Duke getting four free throws and the ball where they make a basket so they get a six point possession they had already been on a little bit of a push anyway and all of a sudden Duke is on a 14 nothing run and they have cut Carolina's lead down to 4.7369
4: I thought this was the worst vital Patrick oh, stretch uh. We first get Vital saying, I have a great seat at Cameron. Well, just a minute ago, you said you were way up high in the Catbird seat at the Smith Center, but you literally do sit in the rafters at Cameron, and you think that's a great seat. Then we have Antoine Jamison gets knocked to the ground. Patrick gives us a great defense that time. Then Duke's making the little push, and William Avery travels, and Mike Patrick is so audibly disappointed. Avery.
2: Oh, it's an impossible shot, and he traveled. Avery has made a couple of bad decisions the last couple of times he's had the basketball.
4: Uh, like he's almost as disappointed in William Avery as they were in Chris Burgess's free throws. At With six minutes and 30 seconds left, Carolina's only taken two three-pointers, and that's the first time they've mentioned this fact. Yeah. Carolina's one of two from three. That's a fairly significant number. And then uh once Duke closes to 7369 and it's a 14 0 run, Patrick is absolutely giddy. Oh yeah. You can oh, just yeah. hear it in his voice. He, he said they weren't gonna make it run make a run, but these Warriors have done it.
3: Langdon hits a jump shot to cap this big run in the six point possession. And Patrick gives it his holy cow. They're within four. Langdon
2: pull up jumper, and he got it. Holy cow! They've cut it to
3: four. He like can barely stay in his seat. He's so happy about this. <laughs> he he loves it.
4: Well, and the whole the turning point with Maktar – he had gotten beaten twice on the boards on that same possession, which I I guess that's why he was frustrated. And but and remember they had to go
3: through this whole thing about the foul, and they're like, well, I didn't see a foul there. And then they show, oh, there's that foul. There it is.
6: Oh yeah.
4: Patrick goes unless something happened earlier, which we all like. They were trying to say the foul was when he tripped over Battier. Yeah. It clearly was before that. And Patrick, well, unless something happened, oh, there it is. That's a foul <laughs> numero cinco, Macdar. <laughs> And then they quickly are very disappointed in him as well.
2: Watch him right here. Watch him right here. Watch him right here. He's got a... Oh, Oh, yeah, that's it. That That was it. Can't get away with that. Can't get away with that. Silly play by McTaw. He's put this club back into the game.
3: Uh, Adam, this is where Ed Cota, who has, I would say, even... I would say our friend Ed Cota would probably say he has not had his best game up to this point. But, woo, he's huge down the stretch here. He hits a big jump shot to make it 75-69.
2: Coda answers at the other end. And Coda with a big, big bucket.
3: Tariels get a stop, and then Carter gets a putback to make it 77-69.
4: That putback was ridiculous. Is that the one where he runs back down the court, throwing his arms I around so. like a wild
2: man? I think so. Jamon Williams. Carter, follow away. it! And he's got the strike. What a big play
4: by Carter. But it was like it was like a fall away off an offensive rebound. It was yes. ridiculous.
3: Coda, uh, I thought this may have been the biggest basket. A driving left-handed layup. It was impressive. 8173.
2: With the left hand, Coda. Coda has made two big offensive plays with the right hand and now the left hand. It was as though
3: it was as though Carolina kind of woke up all of a sudden. After Duke got it within four, they made some nice plays. But really it was their defense and work on the glass in this stretch where they weren't giving Duke second opportunities and they were making it pay off on the other side.
4: And this whole push was mostly without scoring from Jamison, which made you remember how good this group was.
3: Yeah, so Coda gets that left-handed layup. Then Coda with a dish off to Haywood for a layup and a foul. And Carolina's kind of grabbed control back of the game.
2: Coda's been tough to have. The Fulogel at the point. Cota has really oh, gained confidence. Got it the basket and the foul. What a pass!
3: Hey guys, with Ed Cota playing such a big role here down the stretch for the Tar Heels, and coming off that play where he made such a nice pass to Brendan Haywood for an important basket and foul, thought we'd go back to our conversation from last March with Ed Cota on the Carolina Insider where he talks about his ability to find open players.
6: That's, that's just having to feel. And uh, it's like I tell most guards, you got to get in the lane. You know, you got to handle for a reason. Get to, get to your spot. Get, get to any spot you want. And that's what I used to do. I, 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 I just used my, my dribbling skills to get me anywhere on the floor. And when you draw people, you just kind of got to understand where they at. And if you play with guys long enough, you know, you know what they do. You know what they like to do. And that's basically what it is. Now, Adam, we come up to the
3: seminal moment of the contest, which, by the way, the Tar Heels now have stretched this back to 13-point lead. In my head, the Tar Heels were up like 25 points when this happened. I agree 100%. So 13 is certainly comfortable, but it wasn't – the game was not over. In my mind, the game was over. They get the Carter steal, tips it away to Coda in the attempted alley-oop off the glass.
7: Knocked away by Carter. Three on one break. Coda off the glass. Oh, he missed the dunk. Rebounded. Elijah, got it to Williams. Pumps the three. Good. Oh, my goodness. Carter's embarrassed. Oh, it was set up perfectly and he couldn't deliver 89-73
3: which mike patrick and dick vitale understandably lose their minds
2: the heels trying to win their seventh straight against duke in this building Coda with the alley-oop oh, hello hello i'll tell you what just as a fan i would have liked to see that one gone exactly in. That, that would have line. been unbelievable
3: adam And also, in my mind, even though Ed Ed Cota told us this, in my mind I always thought the pass was bad by Ed Cota. It was maybe a little hard off the glass. I would say Vince Carter completes this dunk 99 times out of 100. He was so high, and his face was above the rim on this play. Because you get replays of it, as you should. If you've never seen this play, you have to go find it. It's an amazing moment. And Adam, I, I think it would, had it gone in, I still think it would be the most famous non-game winning basket. So I'm not saying it's Jordan, Georgetown, or Luke May, Kentucky, or Walter Davis, eight points in 17 seconds. I think it's the most famous dunk in Carolina history if it goes in.
4: It's in the top ten, even though he missed it. Yeah, even though he missed it, that's how good it was. in In my mind, they. So w- I think the
3: most famous dunk in Carolina history: Stackhouse up and under against Duke.
4: Yeah, I think that's right. I think this surpasses that oh, if yeah. it goes. in. Oh, this crushes that if if it goes. It's like it's like Elizabeth Shue versus Judy. It buries Judy <laughs> Bur- in a, in a second. Buries her if it goes in. In my in my mind, Vince and Ed were way out in front of everybody when they did this. It really was much more in the flow of the game than I remembered it being. It just Ed just kind of casually throws it off the backboard. And I I think if Carolina hadn't been making a run, like if this if things hadn't been so amped up, Vince Carter makes this dunk. But because by the way, it was a great defensive play by Carter to start the play. Yeah. But because everything is so jacked up, he as he says, tried to dunk it too hard.
6: And me and Vince ended up playing in a in a summer league. Played one game, and that same dunk, that same missed dunk that we had against <laughs> Duke, that I threw off the backboard, we did that that day. The first time you played yeah, with him. Yeah, the first time I played with him, and, the, and and he finished the dunk, of course, and the whole <laughs> place went crazy. It went crazy. It's just a natural instant. And next thing you know, we we try to do it two years later in the, in the Dean Dome.
4: Okay, well now let's talk about that for just a second. <laughs> Why did he miss that dunk? He says he tried to dunk it too hard.
6: I think that's that's the reason. I think so. Cause it was definitely easy for him to, you know, put it down. But um just the crowd, the drilling and running. And he probably was a little shocked. But he did try dunk it hard. <laughs> <laughs> and we ended up getting three out of it, so it worked out.
3: Even though Carter missed that alley oop off the backboard, his athleticism was on full display and that athleticism was something that wowed his former teammates,
6: Koda and Elijah. I've been around two guys that were freaks, just freak of natures. Vince being one of them, Julius Peppers being the next. And those guys, they, they're just incredible athletes. They make it look easy. I know it ain't easy, but it, make, they, it looks easy for those guys, sure. they, two freaks. Uh-huh. A lot of the things Vince used to do in pickup was amazing. Forget the games. He did some nice things in the games, but the most amazing things I watched him do was in pickup games. Like what? And I definitely threw him some high lobs, but you know me you throwing to him, they don't seem lo- they don't seem <laughs> high because <laughs> he going he going to get them wherever you put it.
4: What do you see him do in pickup that sticks with you today?
6: <sighs> Man, a lot of posters, a lot of, <laughs> of posters. I don't want I don't want to call none of my former teammates out, <laughs> but he had a lot of highlights. We
5: played uh, scrimmage. And uh, Vince, somebody did it, wanted to do a layup, and Vince did not block it. He just caught it with two hands, <laughs> like you know, somewhere where only he goes. Comes down, takes two dribbles, and like, Oak, oh, watch this, and just goes down there and this takes off somewhere (laughs) and dunks it over. I'm not going to say no names, but I was just like, ow. It was like, but, you know, it was not that he was, it wasn't an accident. He said it. You know, first he got the rebound or blocked the shot. Not blocked, he caught it. Caught it, hit the ball against the backboard, came down.
4: Oh, what? And then this took off. The guy in the truck is so amazed by this, we immediately go to the crowd shot. Because they aren't quite sure what just happened. And meanwhile, Shaman Williams, it's a three. Yeah, was it a three that yeah. So hit? Yeah, so he missed
3: it. But Carolina keeps possession. But everybody has lost their mind. So, I mean, Mike Patrick included. Everybody's lost their mind. TV, as Adam said, production guy, goes to the crowd. While you're looking at the crowd, Shaman Williams hits a three to put Carolina up 16.
4: And no one, I don't think, ever even really mentions on the broadcast that he made this three. Yeah. It's just like somehow Duke gets the ball back and the score has changed. But what we'd really like to tell you is Vince Carter almost made the most amazing play anyone's ever seen.
3: What an unbelievable. Again, if you've never seen this play, you have to go watch it. You have to.
4: And I think it also gives you a little window into what people loved about Ed Cota, because how many other Carolina point guards even try that pass? No, no one. I, I don't think anyone does, because like, you've got to have the thought that you could complete it, but well, then you got to have the swagger to try it. Well, yeah, and Cota had made a pass earlier
3: in the game that was awesome, that would have worked here where he kind of threw it underneath his arm behind his body to a trailer who got, I think it was to Jameson, Jameson. for for a layup or a dunk. That pat, that exact pass would have worked here, and Carter would have gotten an awesome time. This would have been more awesome, though. Yeah. I oh, un- Unbelievable what might have been.
4: Well, and remember, they completed this play at the Celebration of a Century game, or not this, at the NBA alumni game. I had game. forgotten that. And it was like... It, It was a little bit of redemption. You felt a little better about it, but still not as good as it would have been against Duke in the flow of a regular game.
3: They do, you mentioned the Tariels not shooting many threes. They do put up the stat that the Heels have a 60-20 advantage in the paint. (laughs) Adam, I didn't write much down here at the end other than Mike Patrick proclaims,
2: And ladies and gentlemen, you are looking at the new number one team in the country. The Tar Heels of North Carolina.
3: The Tar Heels almost don't get that number one. Their next game is in Atlanta against Georgia Tech. This was a Wednesday night game, the Duke game. It's like a Saturday. It's like a noon or a one o'clock game on Saturday is the next game. And shockingly, the Heels had a little bit of a hangover from, not a literal one, but a a hangover from the game on Wednesday night um, where they're a little sluggish against the Jackets, and it takes 42 points from shaman williams and a double overtime to beat georgia tech in the upcoming game so carolina does move to number one but it wasn't quite as easy as mike patrick suspected it might be
4: that's the uh, that's the game where shaman williams is so on fire that he is standing some distance away from the three-point line and looks over at bill guther's to see if it's okay if he shoots it and bill Guthers gives him the all right and he does and nails it it's like the carolina version of the childress get up to begin yeah.
7: on Williams looking at the bench, asking if he can go one-on-one against Glover. Here's Williams for three. Got it! Oh, my goodness! 101-95. to That may have been an NBA three.
4: He has 37 points.
6: I asked Coach Guthrie for permission. The time was running out. I had the basketball, and he had backed off of me, and I asked Coach Guthrie for permission to take him one-on-one. So once I began dribbling the basketball, he began backing
4: up. So I felt like I had a good shot, and I just... Just went up and took the
2: shot. I said, if you promise to score. (laughs) No, no, I didn't. Time to go for it.
3: So, Carolina closes the game 24-4 after Duke closed in to within four, including an 18-0 close to the game. They show the graphic, Adam. Jamison have the ball in it. What a... Whoever thought this, whoever came up with this while it was happening, you sir, go down in Tar Heel lore as uh, with a biggest. Ass- I'm pointing to you right now. Jamison had the ball for 53 seconds in his hands and had 35 points and 11 rebounds.
4: That's one of the best. It's in a- single game stats in Carolina history. Yes, it defines Antoine
3: Jamison. Yes,
4: and wasn't mentioned at all prior until, to that moment until the, and the game's like over at this point most like people have turned it off carolina's running out the clock
3: <laughs> carter had 17 points and six boards coda uh despite having i think eight turnovers in the game had 12 points and 12 assists including as we mentioned coda with uh, a couple of big baskets and a huge assist to haywood uh in the stretch where carolina pulls back away from uh from duke
4: Not a lot of letting off the gas by the Tar Heels. No, no, no. (laughs) No. Going to go ahead and finish this one
3: out with some thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it was Carolina was dribbling the ball out. Duke was like, you know, on the court but not really playing defense. Heels are going. Hey, give it to Jay. Let him lay it up again.
4: And then went for a steal when Duke was trying to bring it up the last time. Like, we're going to try to get those biscuits for these loyal Tar Heel fans.
2: 97 to 73. What a show by the Tar Heels. And they're ready to celebrate. Oh, they're gonna to toast their heels now, Michael. 97 to 73, the final. What a performance by North Carolina. An A-plus, Mike. An A plus. They deserve to celebrate here. They deserve to be jubilant because it's been North Carolina basketball at its best.
4: What else you got? Something I had forgotten that you see like if you're looking for it in the last little montage of highlights i had forgotten that Michael Hooker used to sit down on the baseline with the students. I had totally forgotten about that. Carolina's chancellor at the time, he would sit down there with Mrs. Hooker-Carmen, uh, and they would. That was, that was a big deal that the chancellor of North Carolina was sitting with the students rather than over there, you know, where the chancellor usually sits, uh, and that just sort of personified who he was. I had totally forgotten about that.
3: So what happens with these two teams this season? They both have great years. Uh, they meet again in Durham, as we mentioned. Carolina lost a big lead in the season uh, finale. Uh, they go to the ACC tournament. I remember that was a heated ACC tournament. You remember that ACC tournament? Oh, yeah. Tar-Eels Carolina beat
4: Maryland in the semis, in right? the, in a, and Maryland and, was
3: good. And Maryland had beaten Carolina earlier in the season. Carolina only had three losses, right? Two losses? Three losses in the regular season. One of them was to Maryland. And so that game, it, it was not it, – it was a battle in, in the semifinals of the ACC tournament, and Carolina won and then beats Duke in the championship. This is in Greensboro, and in fact, Adam, if I'm not mistaken, that is the last ACC tournament championship that the Tar Heels have in Greensboro uh, came that year in 1998. So the Tar Heels lo- – oh, that's right, they lost to the State. They lost to the State at home – uh, late in that year, that was a year or that was a game where Vince Carter had pink eye and had to wear goggles and was not very good. And State won by 14. Who was it that went crazy? Was it Laquista McCuller? CC? Was
4: that the Laquista game or the CC game? It was one of those two.
3: Yeah. Um, so Carolina, and that's when the Tariels in the ACC tournament, that's right now, I remember, they beat the three teams that had beaten them in the regular season. That's right. So they, do- I mean, crushed State in the quarterfinals, 73-46. to That was the Brian Bursticker sticker uh, hanging on the rim and letting State know what he thought about them game. <laughs> um, then in a battle in overtime, beat Maryland in the semifinals and then pulled away from Duke in the championship game, 83-68. There were some – fireworks after that game uh with Carolina celebrating on the media table and the Shashevsky family getting upset there there was a there was a it was a hot time of Carolina and not not a lot of the oh I respect these guys so much kind of hot time there was some true dislike at this point
4: well and this Carolina team if you weren't a Carolina fan oh yeah I could see how they might rub you the wrong rub you way, the wrong way, especially given what you're accustomed to from Carolina. They're just so different from that team. There's a great story that Roy Williams is sort of alluded to on the radio show from time to time about his recruitment of Vince Carter and how that may or may not have related to Duke. Um, but in this day, Coach K likes to paint it as though he and Dean Smith were best friends. That really that wasn't happening when it was actually happening. They may respect each other now, but at the time, there was some frostiness, and this was part of that, even though Coach Smith wasn't the coach this year.
3: Tariel's go on, of course, to fall to Utah. Oh my gosh, even saying it just makes me sick.
4: You remember that Charlotte game? Yes. In the second round of the NCAA tournament? Yeah. Oh, Tar- Caroline
3: had to go to overtime to beat Charlotte 93 83, the final. Diego Guevara. And all his three pointers, and kissing his girlfriend. The crowd. He would always, if you don't know that, he would hit a three, and then he would kiss. He'd make this kissing motion to his girlfriend, or fiance, or something, wife, in the crowd. And it's hard to explain. Like, I've always thought out of Charlotte hates Carolina so much more
4: than you realize if you've yes. ever experienced it firsthand.
3: And. This would have been the greatest thing that would have ever happened to UNC Charlotte ever and would still have been the best thing that ever happened to them to this day.
4: Well, and this was still in the UNC Charlotte era. Like, now we think of them as Charlotte. This was totally UNCC. And they
3: had played – they played each other again the next season, and it was really close. Carolina won in overtime by two at home, and they weren't Carolina won as good in 99 as they were in 98. They were still good, but not as good. But so uh, Heels nearly derailed in the second round. And then, I mean, they beat Michigan State and Connecticut, who were both top 20 nationally and won by double figures, beating Michigan State in the Sweet 16 and then Connecticut in, in the round of eight. And of course, Connecticut would be the team that beat Duke for the national title the next year. So this is that Connecticut team getting good, um, but lost to Carolina in the round of eight.
4: That Connecticut game was when Bill Guthridge had one of his best lines as head coach when Vince Carter did the 360, but he spun the wrong way. And somebody asked Bill Guthridge about it, and he said, well, I'm going to show Vince some film of when I played, because when I played, I did it the right way. So the Tariels then, of course, fall to Utah. That (sighs) that game closer, 65-59
3: the final score. Closer (laughs) than I remember it being.
4: Rough day for Shaman Williams shooting the ball, which goes back to the whole alphabetical rotation thing. Which again, if you if you didn't live through this, we know Carolina didn't have a lot of depth and Bill Guthrie's decided the Tar Heels had six starters. The starting lineup rotated based on alphabetical order. It just happened to fall that Shaman Williams was out to start the Utah game and the stats suggested he was not very good coming off the bench and I think he was one of nine or so from three against Utah, which Utah had some viable yeah. players. Yeah. But not like Andre Miller was awesome for them. Michael Doliak was all whack. Come but, on, Adam. They, why are you making me say it? <laughs> but they didn't have Antoine Jameson.
3: Oh, and then Jameson kissed the
4: kissed floor.
3: Kissed the floor. Why'd do we do this, Adam?
4: So, so if you didn't live through that, after Carolina lost to Utah at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, before the Tar Heels left the floor, Antoine Jameson went to center court and gave it a kiss. And everybody was wondering, like, what? In my mind, this was pre-internet, but I'm sure it wasn't. And so there was a lot of debate, like what what was he doing? What was he trying to say? He's saying he's leaving, guys. Yeah.
3: How stupid were we to think that? Oh, maybe he's saying that he loves this game of college basketball <laughs> and won't we'll be back.
4: Maybe he's saying he'll see you right back here at this spot next year for the final four.
3: Could you imagine ninety-nine if Jamison and Carter had stayed? Oh. If Carolina had Coda, Jamison, Carter, Oak Elijah, and whoever. Haywood. Older Haywood. Yeah. Plus, you got like freshman Capel and, and Lang. And I mean, oof. against that Duke team, that would have been
4: incredible. Didn't happen. It's hard to believe that we got when you watch Antoine Jamison play a game like we just did. It's hard to believe Carolina got three years oh yeah. of Antoine Jamison.
3: Duke, meanwhile, has a very good year. They end up losing to Kentucky in the round of eight. Kentucky wins the title. Whatever. Well, but if Kentucky doesn't take out Duke, oh yeah, I think, oh, yeah. Duke probably beats Utah. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, Duke probably wins the title. And oh, don't worry. Remember, Mike Patrick had to keep telling us that during this game that, or was it Dickie V who had to keep telling us that? Oh, they played as number one, number two, and ninety four. The Tariels won, but then Duke played for the title. So, I'll I, I will accept Kentucky. That was the. We put in the audio several weeks ago of Billy Packer being so upset that they were hurting Wojo on that play.
2: <laughs> Suspect hands. Exactly. Boston. And look at Wojo. Oh, well, he's what is he doing here? What
4: is McGlure he's hurt. doing?
2: Wojo is hurt. Well, McGlure wouldn't let him go.
0: That was crazy. Oh. I see he has him right here. All he has to do is relax and let him alone. It's ridiculous.
3: Dan, that was Duke was up 18, I believe, against Kentucky in that game. I Adam, I honestly – I mean, 91's the closest as far as the teams both being in the Final Four. I think Carolina and Duke were the best two teams in the country this year. I mean, it could have easily happened that they played for the national
4: title this year. And I I think that was the expectation that they were going to. And I I feel like I remember some talk when the brackets came out that they were basically set up for Carolina and Duke to meet in the championship game – and again, we didn't even see Duke at full strength in this game because it was no Elton Brand who was really good, yeah. not Antoine Jameson, but really good. So that I'm in the camp that doesn't want that to ever happen. No, I, no it's fine. just too no, much. I don't want that. It's too much. I I couldn't handle. I do it.
3: want the Tar to play for the national title, but not against Duke. No, no, it's too much, Adam. I enjoyed watching this game. It's a fun game. It makes me a little sad because they didn't win it that year. Like the other two that we did, 82 and 93, they won it that year. This year they didn't win it. And so it it makes me a little sad watching it back because they were so good um, and didn't win it that season, which, as we've talked about, is a bummer.
4: Well, I think watching 82 and 93, you remembered why they won, and it was a reminder of how good they were. I think when you watch 98, you remember just not very deep and one shooter. So if you have that one day that the shooter is off, you're in trouble, and and that's what happened. So in a way, it was a reminder of why 98 didn't win, but I'm still mad at Utah, and I still think the Tar should have won. Adam, anything else
3: before we say goodbye?
4: That was fun. That was fun. As we talked about, I was amazed at how in the flow of the game it was because that is not how I remembered it. But man, man, Vince Carter. He could jump. So could Antoine. I, so
3: I was a student at Carolina during this time and we were talking about the Bulls. I mean, th- now we're talking about more localized here and basketball players are always well known and recognized. But I mean, Carter and Jameson in particular, I mean, they were like, superstars when they were walking on campus. I mean, they were just at a different level.
4: But pre-social media superstars. right? And so it was almost, you didn't feel like you knew them as well. You just knew them from basketball. So when you saw them, it was more unusual and more special because you couldn't just log on to their Instagram. Like, what's Vince doing today? Right. If you saw Vince on Franklin Street, you're going to tell your friends, I just saw Vince. Now, if you see... Whoever, I, I don't think it's quite as special. I think they, they had a little extra glow in that era.
3: Adam has a special glow, but it's from the sweat because he's been working so hard in this episode. So that's normally my cue to know that the episode is over. <laughs> so we're back next week. Again, get those Jordan stories, encounters, funny moments in either Carolina Insider Pod at gmail.com or you can shoot it to tweet at Carolina underscore pod. We'll be coming back early next week with a uh, new Carolina Insider. Looking forward to that. But for now, Adam, I say we let Ed Coda, Adamola Okalija Scott Williams, and Garrison Brooks. A quadruple see you later, Big Grits. What do you think about that? I think these times demand extreme measures. So we're going to let all four of those gentlemen well, make it five, because, of course, the Riz is there, too. Get us out of here on the latest
8: edition of the Carolina Insider. I'm Scott Williams. See you later, Big Grits.
5: I'm Ademolo Kolaja. See you later, Big Grits.
8: I'm Ed Coda. See you later,
6: Big Grits. Hey, this is Garrison Bruce. I'll holler at you later, Big Grits. When I was small,
4: we had nothing else.
6: Box of sugar in a stick of margin. A hot pot of grits kept my family from starving. Steamy hot meal served less than five minutes. Big silver pot boiling water, salt in it. House full of brothers and sisters, the pots missing. Pilgrim on a box on the stove in the kitchen. When
0: I was small, we had
4: nothing at all. a little
8: bit great.
2: The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Tar Heel Sports Network.
8: Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate.